This is the Grispace podcast. Welcome to the Grispace podcast. My name is Luke Pretty and in this discussion of the podcast, Gabe and I will be talking about the trilogy of films by M Night Shyamalan which could be called the Unbreakable trilogy. I think it might go by another name as well, but the three films Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. Now, if you haven't seen all three of them, you should still be able to follow the conversation. If you haven't seen any of them, it's okay. You can listen to the conversation then maybe go back and watch one or all of them. But fair warning, there are there are spoilers in the discussion. So if you don't want anything spoiled, then stop here, watch the films, and then come back. Now it is kind of a meandering discussion. We get into the Oscars, there's a tangent on coronavirus, but most of the discussion does pertain to these three films. We talk about Jungian psychology, mythology, filmmaking style, and a lot more. So, I hope you can follow along and comment if you have ideas that you'd like to add to the discussion. We certainly check the comments if you're watching especially on YouTube. And so without further delay, let's get into the discussion. Exploring something is, is sort of like uh, like we're going to do today. Exploring something is sort of like stepping into a, an Age of Empires map, and uh -huh. then everything is dark, and you 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 have to send out sort of these little villagers. And well, that's how they're not little. I guess they're regular I didn't size. Do, I didn't do any preparation or research for this topic, so you're gonna you're, you'll have to be the well. I don't think you're gonna like guide, where I'm and gonna then take I'll, it. I'll just. We'll see. What could I not like? Oh, you, you're going to say that it's bad or I something? Just, I just think that my the things that the three movies, the things in the three movies that interested me might not be the same as as what interests you about them. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see. My point is it's sort of like sending out those villagers into the map. Sure. They might get sacrificed or killed by a, a neighboring clan, but... You've now explored that part of the map, and it's visible to you. So re-listening to something or talking about something at the very least and then maybe re-listening to it or even having another discussion on the same thing is kind of like opening up the map, exploring the map fully. Could be. And that is my I don't opinion. know how I feel about discussions. <laughs> and I enjoy these uh, once I in a while. I don't know how it. often I can do discussions. Or maybe I, I can. It, sometimes it seems to me like... No, I like having just um, free-flowing conversations, but sometimes when it's a discussion about a set topic, it just makes me feel I don't know something about it that I'm just not Too sure constrained. about. Like you don't, yeah. It doesn't not the constraint really. It's just like I don't know if I like exploring something necessarily as a topic, like it, like a movie. It kind of takes away from the movie, maybe, but not really. I guess we we can talk about it. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about you it. You should have let me know before that you didn't want to do this. <laughs> I, I mean, I no. I, this this is new. These are new thoughts. I'm uh, building my my map right now. Yeah, I'm sending yeah, yeah, an yeah, ant yeah. towards um, ants like an ex exit button. It <laughs> showed up on the map. We don't have to press yeah. it. But <laughs> yeah, exit game immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm still thinking it over. I know it was because we were going to talk about Parasite before, and I really like Parasite as a movie. I thought it was great. I like. There's nothing I don't like about it. I don't know how much I could say about it. I guess that was the problem. I feel 
that and there's I, just I saw two other different kinds of too. things. Like our previous discussions. So, okay, so we've mm-hmm. done both types. We've done types where we're just talking about whatever comes up, general things, whatever we want to talk about, and we've done some that are we've done one that's around a specific thing, which is the discussion we did on the tree of life. I think they're right. both just different kinds of projects. One is maybe more yeah. it's totally free form and it goes where it goes, which is fine and entertaining. But then there's something well, I don't know about that. There's but yeah. a pro- there, the memories that I have of doing the tree of life one are much better for me than the other ones. They're more memorable. Mm-hmm. I, that's a sort of like yeah, a, no, that, a golden that's, period that's in my life. <laughs> that two hours. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you I enjoyed see it, it as the well. same no, way, but I, I, I do. I do. But I guess I guess I don't feel that way about that many movies. So I wouldn't be able to talk that much about. So I actually I'm glad we're discussing the movies that we're discussing because a lot of people disregard them. Yeah. I like them as movies. I guess I'm looking forward to hearing what you think is good or bad about them. Um, but you're probably looking at it more from getting metaphorical stories out of it, or what is it exactly? <laughs> A lot of things. So I, tr- I guess what comes up for me when I'm watching something is, first, as you said, some things just don't have that much in them. And as we were talking about Parasite, I kind of realized that you might be right about that, that that the ideas of Parasite kind of are interesting but could be exhausted in a 10-minute conversation just because there well, isn't much no, there there. I wouldn't that, really say that, that either. I'm not saying that that movie isn't necessarily very deep or anything because I think it is, but I feel like a lot of people online have already talked about that, and most of the like the implications are like social, sociopolitical or something, mm. uh, which I guess I would be into to a certain extent, but I don't know if I understand them well enough to apply them to that movie. I I don't know. I just didn't feel like that movie spoke to me in that way. I really enjoyed it as a movie, but right. I don't have like a giant well to dig into to think about it. You know, that's all. It's a great movie. Yeah. I well, I sort of see see it a different way. I care more about what sort of resources are in it as something to explore, and I don't really care if I enjoy it or not because I don't. I didn't. So like... Are movies even movies to you anymore, or are they? Um, I like. Are they interfaces to, uh, on to which you can click uh, into different? They're two different things. I mean, I I didn't really like Split. I I don't really like that movie. It's it's not a very. Just because it doesn't feel good. I do, I just didn't enjoy it. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there to discuss. We I spent eight conversations talking about true detective i don't really like true detective that much but it was an extremely interesting project so right there i just sort of separate okay. them in my head there are projects that are interesting because there's a lot to explore and then you. and there's i mean I have, you saw my list i have a list that i have been adding to and then there are movies i enjoy when i watch mm-hmm. uh when i watch let's say parasite or when i watch jojo rabbit there isn't that much to talk about but i liked the movie and I enjoyed the pizza that I ate after I watched it. I mean, that's just <laughs> what, a different uh, kind of life experience. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I, I'm in then. I um, I agree with that. Wow. So, Jojo, well, how was Jojo Rabbit? Uh, it's, I haven't seen that. It's uh, not as clean as Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok is really gee, that's pretty dirty. Tight writing. I didn't like. Okay. I mean, it's very it's very concise and very tight writing. Very strong. And I feel like the comedy of Thor Ragnarok is very... Um, Forgettable, throwaway. Yes, exactly. Very on point. Very, very <laughs> good for a, the type Topical, of movie that it is. Yeah. Won't be funny in 15 years, right. stuff like that. Right. But Jojo Rabbit is less less that. It, it has comedy in it, but it's not, not that funny. But it's still 
uh, is an enjoyable movie to watch overall. But it's not something you'd want to talk about because it's just about just about a little kid growing up in World War II Germany who loves Hitler. Well, what's the? I mean, I was. I, I'm curious to see it. I'm. I'm interested. What's like? What is the statement about the kid thinking Hitler's great? That Hitler Youth is bad, and that brainwashing children um, isn't right. Or what is it? Well, it's I guess. I guess there's that on the on the face of it. But I think it's also. I guess it's fundamentally a story about. Here we are dis- discussing it. It's just what I didn't want to do. There's not that much to talk about. It's, We're going to dig into this. It's fundamentally about confronting your misconceptions and and the process of empathy. I think it's about empathy. It's about it's about Hitler? why people don't have empathy and then how people can gain empathy toward people they didn't have empathy toward before. I think that's what it's about fundamentally. Oh, was he not empathetic towards Jewish people because his best his friend Hitler was against them, and then he Hitler realizes is a Hitler, is a, is a Hitler is his imaginary friend. Right, but Hitler's real in the context of the story, too, right? Because he lives in Nazi Germany. But, but it's not Hitler, because Hitler is ridiculous right. in his imagination. Right, Hitler but he, that's... Is, a, Hitler th- yeah, says he, things that rabbitus. a little kid would say. Hitler is... A, is it looks like Hitler, but he says things that a child would say. But he's, he's a referential point to an actually existing character in the world of the movie. Yeah. Yes, in, externally, yeah, but I don't think— Does he realize my fake Hitler um, doesn't represent what the real Hitler is um, all about or anything like that? It's sort of like how if you if you had a, a childhood hero who was a real person— you know nothing about that real person, probably, because huh. your lens is a child's lens, and that person is mostly fictional in your in your imagination, even though they're a real person in the I real never, world. I never Michael Jordan would cry so much when I was a right. Kid, yeah, I, I, I had did, no idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, my uh, carrot top, my childhood hero, <laughs> had no idea that his, in reality, that he was actually a prop comic. I didn't know. I thought he was just in the 1-800-CALL-COLLECT commercials, and I thought that was it. <laughs> Rats. Um, but, no, there's a little spoiler alert. I have alert. to watch it. Sounds there, interesting. There is a... You want me to say or not say? Sure, say. Say. Yeah, his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their house, and he he believes that Jews are demons, and he... Um, starts when he finds her in the house. He starts a project of trying to write and write a book about the demonic characteristics of Jews, and he so he's doing sort of research and interviewing this girl and asking her about her horns and her mythical background. And through the process of creating this book that he plans to send to the Nazis, he develops mm-hmm. a sense of empathy. And and does it end like uh, Boy with the Striped Pajamas? Have you yep, ever seen that? I haven't seen that one. Well, no, that's got a good ending. Spoiler alert. You want to, are you going to watch it? <laughs> We're supposed to be talking about Unbreakable. Uh, We're yeah, going to get tell there. Tell me what happened. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's a little boy that lives. Uh, his father gets transferred to be the overseer of uh, what you get the idea is a death camp. He doesn't know what's going on, but right. gradually throughout the story, it's revealed what's going on. But he mm-hmm. befriends a, you know, a kid on the other side of the wire who lives there. And so, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, um, to be with his friend, he jumps across the fence and puts on the clothes of a prisoner. I forget what the circumstances are that lead that to happen, but it makes a lot of sense. And at the end of the movie, he gets put in a gas chamber and killed as his parents are trying to find him. 
Wow. It's it's, uh, it's one of the like darkest endings possible because you start out. This is a kids' movie. It's probably something positive has to happen here, right? Like Jojo Rabbit, I'm sure, but it doesn't end that way. Well, there's so has, yeah. yeah, there's certainly dark elements in Jojo Rabbit. I mean, uh, there there are. You see people being hung, right? There are people on the gallows. In in the next scene, there's a comedy thing. It's 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 a weird mix of darkness and lightness. Uh, but no, it doesn't go that direction in the end. I'm really curious to give it a try now because I really like Hogan's Heroes, but uh, I don't think Hogan's Heroes operates on the same with the same same ambition or something like that. Because no, that's obviously you couldn't just you couldn't just put it's uh, Hogan's Heroes is devoid of actual war horrors. You couldn't right. put people hanging from the gallows in Hogan's Heroes. It wouldn't fly. Mm. Whereas here, even even the villains are not yeah. real Nazis; they're just uh, Germans. Like there are some villains that are Nazis, but most of them are Germans that work that are like in the army, like uh, which is different than like I mean they Hofstetter. do go up against the Gestapo yeah. and stuff. But yeah, those people do really bad things. But it's not like they're trying to make some grand statement about. Um, and they're mostly antagonists to the other Germans who run Stalag thirteen. Right. Some people are lost here. What are, what are you guys talking about? Hogan's Heroes, classic television show from the 1960s. <laughs> We're going to watch World about anything but except under it's the great. Unbreakable Trilogy. You can cut all this, right? Or you can just upload um, it. You want to I'm upload actually, it Actually, I'm, I'm going to do timestamps. That'll help people with this nonsense. Yeah, they can yeah. skip, skip right here. the part about uh, World War II, Hogan's Heroes, and Jojo Rabbit. But I would say Jojo Rabbit is pretty funny in some places, all of the actors do a fantastic job. Very good character arc for the protagonist, the little boy. Very good character arc for the little boy. And it's a it's an interesting balance between the the genuine darkness of war. You do see people get killed. You do see uh, you do see people get hanged. But at the same time, it's still a child story. And so there's a lens of lightness and humor throughout the entire thing which is very interesting and hitler's always offering the kid he flicks open his cigarette case he's always offering the kids cigarettes when they're in you know a moment of stress hitler will take out his little cigarettes and he'll yeah, offer the kid I, I, I might be offended by it i'll have to see offended i don't usually get it huh offended why because well, i don't think that's i mean even if you are making a spoof comedy i don't know if that's the way to make it because i think even in wartime like kids they grow up pretty quick and they realize exactly what's going on so i'm not sure it's possible i mean yeah you i think can it's make tasteful comedy, i never had a sense of oh this is going too far nothing like that i never had that that sense never mm. yeah I, when i say i would be offended by it i don't mean that i actually get offended uh because i i I just think I just uh, by offended by it. I mean, does it pull it off or not? I would. Does this actually achieve its goal? I, I don't. I would. Don't care what it does. I don't care if it. Don't base like, that on my description, right? Be offended by okay. my description, not by the, the movie. You should go watch it. We could just do a, like a mini Oscar movie roundup now that we're already talking about it. This could be as great as uh, all right. Cinema, Jojo Tim Rabbit, Greg Turkington, best adapted screenplay. Yes, of course. I I don't know the other nominees, but why not? I did watch uh, Little Women. I think that was one of the nominees. I, th I thought it was good. Okay. Yeah. Yet another adaptation of Little Women. I had no desire to see that one. Well, no, no it was better than Little I Women. thought because, it, yeah, it was put together differently than the other one. Okay. Um, kind of Christopher Nolan-ish in its narrative flashing backward and forward, which made it interesting. Okay. And uh, very good performances, except for the guy that played Laurie, who looks like a little kid. You know that guy? The famous guy that looks like a, a kid. Famous that's guy. That's not supposed to be a kid. 
famous Timothy guy. Chalamet, the guy that plays Henry or in that, that the Netflix movie about the king. And he was in a few other things. He's like a new young it guy of Hollywood. Famous guy who looks West like he's movie? a new young it guy. Timothy no Chalamet or Chalamet? Chalamet? Mm. Never heard of him? No. Sorry. Unfortunately not. That's very Let's sad. Let's skip that one. Did you see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No. I saw it over someone's shoulder as I was watching something else on an airplane. And I could have watched it, but I didn't. What were you watching? Uh, I think I was watching episodes of... Star Trek? No, no, they didn't have that, or I would have. <laughs> believe me. Uh, I was watching episodes of a nature show, I think. I can't remember what it was. might have been okay. Night on Earth or something like that. Maybe something else. I Great. Forget. So you'd give nature. Night on Earth the Oscar, probably. and then... Right. I would give Night on, Night on Earth deserves the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Right. Which is a documentary about animals at night. Did you ever see? Did you see the lighthouse? Nope. That's funny because that movie is like nothing but symbolism and like kind of a story. A story if you squint at it, more yeah. more symbolism. Yeah, I just than haven't story. got around to watching that one. I'd like to. I want to watch it at least for the uh, the famous uh, monologues that. Yeah, they're pretty great. That uh, uh, I, I don't. Yeah, it was um, it was kind of like watching The Shining, maybe where. It's a little cold or something. You're not like um, swept up in the story as much as you are just kind of feeling the mood of it, which was good. Uh, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend watching it. I was very it's... disappointed by the witch, and that's one reason I'm sort of okay feeling a little uh, trepidatious about it because the witch Didn't was like the witch. just a disappointment, a major disappointment. Such potential. They got the feel of it, but it was a it what, was a bad... what uh, did it lack? I thought we're already on a tangent. Let's not take a tangent on a tangent. We're on the Oscar tangent. All right. But you liked Age of Empires. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're going to run back to the village and <laughs> hey, plant guys, some crops or don't something. Don't go that way. It's That's just a fine. bunch of a bunch of <laughs> smelly, smelly. Way over there Germans. in the distance, there's a guy talking about how great the witch is. Don't go over there. <laughs> Uh, what else was not? What else was there? Parasite. I think we both liked that one. That was yeah. that was good. I thought it deserved to win. I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, uh, the feeling of Parasite is it's a completely fresh. It's an extremely fresh mm -hmm. feeling movie. It's just so slightly off, but but go in a good way. In the same way that Okja is, and yeah. not quite in the same way that Snowpiercer is, because Snowpiercer doesn't feel that way. But it's yeah, very like refreshing filmmaking. I'd like. I, I'm wanting to watch Snowpiercer again now that I've seen this because I remember liking it the first time, but maybe I didn't give it enough attention before. I need to concentrate on it this time. Seems like that is a common theme. The whole class warfare and uh, social hierarchies are definitely a theme with him. I, I I haven't seen two of his movies. I've seen Okja, Snowpiercer, Parasite, and yeah. there's a couple others. Right? There's uh, the host. Maybe there's like three others I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. No, I think good I stuff. Think Parasite is very is very true to life in a sort of impressionistic way. It it is able to mm. represent those sort of class differences in a way that's ridiculous. But you have to be ridiculous in order to bring out those characteristics in a film that make you sort of realize them. Yeah. Whereas if it's totally realistic and it feels feels too document ish yeah you, I don't, be you couldn't do it in the the running time either I don't right. think you'd it'd be uh it's it is it's the only way to condense 
a topic like that into a two-hour movie. So yeah, it is. No, we should start talking. We should talk about this movie. Uh, there are there are some certain elements in it which make it fantastical, like the guy who lives underground. The man who lives underground is sort of this. Yeah. He he is sort of a an underworld type character. He reminds me of someone who belongs in sort of the the Greek. Mm-hmm the greek pantheon of the underworld you know it, it it feels like that it feels not just like a guy downstairs but there's something darkly subterranean about his his existence and, and he eventually uh something goes wrong he runs out of the basement and stabs you <laughs> which could be uh metaphorical for the like the lower class um it's the ground opening up, up and sw- and swallowing right. things yeah it's when it's it's the the bull of heaven when it when it lands in in the story of gilgamesh and cracks right. the earth open and and people you fall feel down. terrible for that for that little kid when he sees it but it's still a hilarious shot when he sees the guy and he like just completely passes out when he when he's like actually running around stabbing people and like right. he sees the ghost again yeah i guess it was a funny shot to me though it's like a tragic moment well that's the, the, the juxtaposition the of that's the juxtaposition right. juxta- that's the juxtaposition that's i think hard to pull off that jojo rabbit has here and there it's the juxtaposition mm. of horror and comedy uh, okay. an, abs- an absurdity where you it's... have someone stabbing someone, and at the same time there's something funny going on, right? I got you. Yeah. Although Let's it's not it horror, it's not. I wouldn't say it's horror in Is Parasite it... either, but it's more like dark uh, tragedy in Jojo mm-hmm. Rabbit. I mean, he stands yeah, the... up. At... Well, I can't say that. Never mind. That's too much of a spoiler. Yeah. Oh, somebody stands up. Yes, <laughs> he's really. <laughs> It's really, really bad when he stands up. That part. <laughs> I don't even need to watch it now. Just yeah, close your eyes when he stands up. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that's the only other movies I can think of. There were ones that should have been nominated, like Uncut Gems. I think that was maybe my favorite movie of the year. It got snubbed. I didn't see that. Snubbed it. Um, gotta watch that. I'm gonna watch that one. You'd probably were be there any other films? disappointed. Were there there any must other have been movies? other films. Anything else that was nominated? The Oscar roundup films? is complete. Oh, Avengers Endgame was the best picture of the year. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Avengers Endgame six times. I'm just joking. but And I've seen it six times because it's sort of like something to put on in the background. Because oh. Mushroom really loves watching it. She likes to watch it over and over, so we always watch it. She likes I it did like, uh, I liked Endgame better than... Infinity War. Just, I think we've already talked about this on our last podcast. We don't need to talk about this again. Yeah, we're in the we're in the part of the map that has been thoroughly explored, and people are like, <laughs> "Why aren't you around?" There circles. are resources. There's got to be gold and stone to. I be. don't want to plant corn. I just want to walk back and forth. Can I just hang out here tiles. for five minutes and rest? What is this? Who who Boot music? Yeah. Oh, less I... likely to die from an incoming cavalry charge if yeah. I'm. Right in the center of the village. I'll stay here and build trebuchets and send <laughs> someone else out this time. My legs are tired. I already got my 13,000 steps for the day. For crying I'm going to sit, sit here and watch Endgame. <laughs> gonna sit, yeah. I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Endgame on my phone and put it on the ground, and then I'm going to build a trebuchet. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what, that's how I want to live my life from now on. I was ter- I'm, I'm terrible at uh, strategy games because I have this tendency and I realize it's a tendency sometimes it works really really well but sometimes it completely backfires and it's the reason I'm also bad at Tetris I want to have everything build up to a 
perfect and grand <laughs> success. And so I want to get all of my trebuchets and my uh, footlight soldiers and my cavalry. It's been so long since I played, but yeah. All I... in the right place at the right times, and I want to be totally ready. I want to be sort of at the right moment able to destroy everyone very quickly. It's the same with Tetris. I want to have all the blocks this high and a single, Perfectionism a is your single undoing. line, just, right? Yeah. And I want to be able to just knock them out one by one, but it doesn't happen like that. And so I sometimes have to resist that tendency <laughs> in a lot of areas, think, but think I of all the Think it. of all the dead ends and uh, species throughout the period of evolution that like uh, they had to have the perfect berry and they, 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 they would find food and they, they refused to eat it. <laughs> they just starved the ribeye steak. That's that's you. It's slightly yeah. overcooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will have no progeny, unfortunately, for that reason. <laughs> Don't like this. This. No, I guess that's terrible to say. I can't say this that about my children. Good <laughs> a terrible thing. A terrible thing. Well, that's what the ed edges of cliffs are for. That's what didn't they used to do that? Or is uh, that only in the movie Three Hundred, where they drop throw people off the edge of a cliff in Greece? They also. Is also the the best way to kill buffalo is you panic them and you drive them off a cliff. Yep, that was in that book, right? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the Native American stories. Classic. The girl ended up having to marry a buffalo. Yeah, she married a buffalo and uh, she was okay with it for a while. I forget what happened there. That's a talk about a tangent, but yeah. Yeah, we she are. She married a buffalo. Yeah, we are off on the on the, all the tangents. <laughs> Uh, shall we talk about? Yeah, let's talk about the Unbreakable. I've heard it's trilogy. called the Unbreakable trilogy, but there's also uh, another name for it. The uh, what is yeah, the? Yeah, there's a different one. I forget. What is the name of the train that crashes? Oh yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Ma M M Mantucket nine seventy five trilogy <laughs> or whatever it's called. It's Joe, the Joe Biden Amtrak trilogy. <laughs> I think it was, it was the same Joe train. Joe Biden Amtrak trilogy. Yeah. Uh, because that's the that's a that's sort of the focal point that's, right. that starts everything that sparks everything. The train car plays a role in all three, which is a little bit finagled in there, somewhat story wise, I guess you could say. Well, I do think it's very interesting. I'm, I have a lot on that. <laughs> I guess I not. I think it's yeah, very his interesting. Dad, his dad died. Okay, sorry. So it's how, a cosmology. How do you... So is it possible that that train crash is a sort of cosmology or a cosmological story in a sense as though that is uh that train crash is bang. somehow the big bang it is the big bang in the sense that it's the creation of this uh narrow sort of in a narrow sense in the universe it's sort of and the big bang is what leads ultimately to consciousness this train crash is ultimately what leads to these heightened superhero abilities these abilities that right. they have but also to the the neurosis so mr glass is God and David Dunn is Jesus and uh, the Beast is the Devil or something. No, I don't know. Well, I mean, we can get into that stuff. I I, w I, I was thinking maybe we could start with the uh, with the Shyamalan stuff, just the filmmaking sort of arc that he has uh, from film okay. to film. So, uh, I mean, he. It seems like with, I guess it was, Split, where he sort of came back because. People don't regard the village and the lady in the water and 
uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, that movie. The Village was not a flop. The Village I um, agree. made $50 million A lot million of people didn't like it, though. When, when you ask people about it, most people hate it. No, nowadays when you ask, most people will say they like it. They're coming around. They're coming I'd around. Say it's, That's good. It's at least it's over good. 50%. Yeah. Would you, but there's this sort of perception of their, after Signs, his movies went down, and now he's kind of, if right. not back, at least making movies that people like. Because a lot of people like Split, I think. Yeah, uh, I think so. And I don't know how they feel about Glass, because I didn't check the... I think that one tomatoes. was more polarizing. People right. like Split, but Glass, they're like, uh, they don't like what, like what how it turned out. Do they, they wanted feel a real too superhero contrived? Movie. I don't think I think um, a lot of it was disappointment. I think they wanted more like success for the characters or something. They wanted David Dunn to like be a superhero and beat the beast. Um, I don't. I think that the fact that they spoiler alert. I mean, obviously this is going to have spoilers. Yeah. The fact that they all just die at the end um, is pretty depressing, and uh, it's kind of uh, anti-climax, but. I, it was. I don't think it was ever supposed to be a standard superhero movie, except for maybe Unbreakable. That's the only one. But as far as whenever he decided to make it a trilogy, it stopped being a, about doing a standard superhero story. Well, in no sense, in no sense is Split a superhero, a superhero film in the way that it feels. It well, it it's is like much a more... villain origin story. It's yeah. like it could be like it's like Joker. <clears throat> What's the difference? Right. Well, I wouldn't say that the Joker is either, in a sense. I mean, it, it is right. because it's part of a... Well, superhero comic property story. It's property, but it doesn't feel like that if you were to disassociate it from from the property and tell a similar story, you could you could tell a very similar story and it wouldn't feel that way. So, same kind of thing. I mean, this story feels more like a scary movie about a girl locked in a room than it does anything resembling a superhero film. And, and for... 96% of it, you're not thinking, oh, this is a, quite a superhero movie at all. It doesn't feel like that, even slightly. Oh, I think um, a pretty large chunk of the movie has to do with talking about his different personalities. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not about the girl locked in a room. It's about his personalities. Yes, right. But, I mean, the... I guess I just meant the overall feel of it, the aesthetic of it is... It definitely doesn't feel like a superhero movie or... Well, none of them really do, except for maybe Unbreakable a little bit. I mean, there's like it's more more like references to superhero movies than they are superhero movies. So it's like a different kind of superhero movie. It's um, what what can be said for that? What is the appeal of that? The telling a superhero story in a ver from a very different beginning point from a well, very different I think, lens. I mean, I I don't know enough about comics to say anything with authority, but from my perspective, seeing the origin of comics. From way far away. I mean, Superman, he's a hero. He's the all-American superhero. He will come in and save the day. He's basically like a Christ replacement, somewhat, um, but more personalized to your local area, or at least yeah. your planet. Not that he was from there or anything, yeah. but it's just very standard. Like, we're going to put, as a society, all of our hopes and fears upon you, and you'll save us. You're a superhero. And, that, yeah. and superhero films have gotten no further than that. And then the guy that wants to stop them, really. That's about it as far as the films. I know the comics get more into the nitty-gritty of the details of the protagonist's life when they start following the superhero and see what's going wrong with him and stuff like that. But the fact that um, Split, uh, Unbreakable Split and Glass are more about the psychology and they're the psychological factors that 
affect all human beings, normal human beings. And the only thing that makes these people super at all is that they just have the exact same things but turned up to like 11 out of 10 or 12 out of 10. They're just a little bit higher. Um, the beast might be a different but, story, but yeah, okay. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, he could be supernatural or something, but... Well, I just mean not everybody has 23 personalities swimming around. Okay, we can talk yeah. about that because actually I think that's interesting what too. It's, but. Yeah, but it's like... Um, it's a superhero story um, that would lead the audience to like look in themselves and see where they can strive to get themselves from 10 to 11 or something. It's not like, come and save me. It's like looking at what is in you that is or is not superhero-ish or villainous um, based on your personality and see what that effect is in the world because you see how it affects those characters. Um yeah, that that's what's interesting about it to me, as far as why, and that makes it. I mean, that's so much more interesting of a movie to me than any any Marvel movie I've seen. But it because well, it's a different, it's a very different animal. I mean, that there's there's yeah. a, a film like that that's meant to make you reflect on your impact, uh, society wide, or your maybe what makes you unique, what gives you purpose. I think. I mean, I mean, think purpose is. Of an important part of the whole the whole series, the whole trilogy, but right. a superhero yes. film also has its own merit. It is tapping into a tradition that is tens of thousands of years old and just putting sure. it into a different form. To there are some there are some core elements that exist in every right. single good superhero film, classic superhero film. That the reason that they make billions of dollars is because right. they are taking those core elements and yes they are stripped down and they're simple and they don't make you deeply re reflect on yourself but they're resonating with certain things that are sort of like food for if there's a human well, yeah, soul that's sure. food for the human soul you need to identify with those kinds of stories occasionally and if there isn't that identification it's sort of like there's a a, a, a cultural desert Right. When there's well, no yeah, it just depends on at. what you're interested in. Yeah. I, for me, and particularly, I would say the fact that the superhero movie has been done so many times the same way, so many times. Yeah, it's, it's great that that exists, but isn't it nice that there's like this person over here doing right. uh, yeah. something different? No argument there. I'm not saying the. I'm right. not saying the having hundreds of them is very important. I'm just saying that <laughs> that is. It's just cool. I wish there. I wish um, yeah. that there were ten M Night Shyamalan type characters, all doing things like that. Right, that would be cool. Not that they, not that they would do them M Night Shyamalan style, but I wish that there were more superhero movies in that vein. Because it seems, I guess maybe who's the guy that did uh, the movie with Rain Wilson before he did? Who are the colorful Avengers from space? Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. The guy that directed that movie, he made a very low-budget superhero movie about uh, with James Rain Gunn? Wilson. Jim, Jim, yeah, that's the guy. Uh, is it James Gunn? Super, it's called, is it called Super, maybe? Didn't see it. I haven't even seen mm -hmm. it, but I think it's it's along those lines, exploring. You heard that you like it. <laughs> I heard that it's like what I'm talking about, all right? <laughs> Someone told me it's my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I'd like it, but... I like that he made it. That's what I'm saying. I wish yeah. there were more superhero movies like that, and James they Gunn. didn't just all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I get yeah, Marvel's I doing what they are doing as good as anybody could, I guess. But 
just always the same thing. Yeah. Makes me sleepy. Yeah, that's true. Although uh, I think, well, I don't think it's so repetitive that the movies aren't worth watching because they are entertaining. I mean, in in this in the sense that they don't make yeah. you deeply reflect on your life in the way that a movie like The Fountain might or something. Or maybe one of these. Well, would. that's true because just we need different kinds goal. of entertainment in our diet. You can't right. always have, like, even my favorite movies. I watch them maybe less than some types of entertainment I would consider disposable. But, right. I mean, that's easier to digest. The disposable entertainment. It's like fast food. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's. Uh, I watched a Screen Rant video today. Okay, that's that's <laughs> that's stooping low. Oh, that's bad for you. Yeah. 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 Is that a pain it's in like my smoking. pain in my liver after I did that? <laughs> I had to do a. They do a bile dump. <laughs> I do a uh, my a jaundice ejection. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You do I don't that? know what I'm saying. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, everyone and 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 Gabe. Thank uh, you. <clears throat> well, so yeah. I've said what I think about it. Basically, what I like about it. I mean, I like it filmmaking wise too. I know sometimes M Night Shyamalan he can be a little. I don't know if it's over the top or maybe grading to some people with this direction. It's kind of like uh, film student artsy a little bit, like a little yeah. over the top. There is something eye-rolling about it. In, in, in a way. I like it. <clears throat> I love it. It's my favorite. Something about <laughs> it. Something about it makes me go, eh. But, but I also like it. Well, it, sometimes he does it more than other times. It's more like I, I would say there's nothing wrong with uh, The Village as far as how it's directed. But I can see how there's certain things that he does sometimes that are just like a little too much, a little like just dial it back a little bit. I know you're trying to be fancy and artsy, but uh, you don't have to do that because it's not actually fancy or artsy to try to be really fancy and artsy. You just have to, it just like uh, oozes from your pores and with no effort, like right. something like David Lynch would do or uh, like parasite. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that there are filmmakers who have that sort of effortless, flick of the wrist quality. David Lynch is definitely definitely one of those. I mean he can he can put out a for Coppola like his yeah. during like the seventies, you know. That that ridiculous See I can see uh Martin Scorsese sometimes he he seems to be trying to me, which I know people would talk if you want to get people to hate me online, Luke, if you want to like make a nice clip for and send yeah. it to like a chat room of Martin Scorsese people. <laughs> my my <laughs> goal in life thing. is to throw you under the bus as many times <laughs> as possible. Yeah. I'll say Mark Scorsese, though he is a master filmmaker, I can sometimes, uh, you know, you can see his art just yeah. like how uh, oh, M. Night Shyamalan's. You can see his, like you can see the effort or the intention in a way that's distracting. Right. Whereas, like we're saying, those some certain masters, it just like it, like so let's say Terrence Malick, uh, Tree of Life, that's that's another, that would be like a masterpiece. Right. So you yeah. can't, you're not just, I mean, even as very, uh, like the aesthetics are very artful. It's not, in a way that just takes away from the movie. It's not right. There's rubbing your nose There's craft it. there. Right. There is right. work there. There's hard work there. There's craft. There's training. There's right. all of his experience. There's his philosophy. But it's part of his being, and it and it's more. Uh, uh, it right. it feels like it feels to him when he thinks up the idea. It probably matches what the result on the screen. So who knows? Some, sometimes Scorsese if, and Spielberg. Too. I was gonna and say Spielberg, Spielberg has the same sort of they quality. They put your noses right in it. Yeah, <clears throat> there is something. Like, okay, I see you. I see, I can feel the guy carrying the dolly, like the camera yeah. guy. I feel. I can see the shot. Like that's an interesting thing. It's hard to say, but it's sort of like there's something. This is a movie-ish about it. Right. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, there is. Because you, at, at zero point did I ever feel that watching Parasite. That movie, you're just in it, like, lucidly. You're just yeah. in the film. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's, from the beginning even scene, even though they're fumigating, stylistic touches. <laughs> they're fumigating right. the... It's, you're in it as soon as that happens. It's, it's, Which doesn't mean it's, it's not it's stylish, though, because he does, like, stuff with <clears> slow <throat> motion. There's all kinds of different shots, uh, interesting editing and stuff, but it's all effortless. It's, um, yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's interesting to make that distinction. So anyway, M. Night falls into kind of the Scorsese-Spielberg category with that, yeah. which sounds like really good company to be in. Uh, but I think there's times when he has um, it's worked perfectly, which I, that's why I think The Village is his best movie. I think Unbreakable is right there as far as movie quality there with that. Um, more recently, I think he's, it's, I don't know, just a little heavy-handed, uh, maybe. A little I thought forced. Glass was a little forced, perhaps. The last line of Split is almost unbearable. It's <laughs> well, that, that's just that, like a trailer tacked onto the well, end of the film. The waitress or whoever's at the restaurant says I, I whatever line she says. Yeah. It's it's very cringe-inducing. I remember yeah. that. And then she walks away, and and then there's Bruce Willis, and he's there. <laughs> he's uh, and he says they play the music from the nineties, yeah. uh, the late nineties. And then Bruce, or I guess with the year Bruce 2000 says, what does he say? The horde? Does he say, uh, they call him the horde, they call or something the like horde. that? Yeah. What do they I call him? Walk away. They were saying the instructions off camera. See, I could be playing that music right now, um, just mixing well, it in. Well, uh, what we should about, get back on topic. Yeah. Probably. Well, I was going to say about the effortless thing, you mentioned David Lynch. And I'm not even a huge David Lynch fan, but I can see it 100%. He's definitely in the other camp, whatever camp that is. And There's a camp. Even that, I was I was on Netflix, and there's that ridiculous interview with the monkey. Oh, yeah. It's David Lynch and the monkey. <laughs> and, I wa- and I started watching it, and, and immediately I thought, this is so stupid. This, isn't, and then this isn't good, by right? the, I was you done stop, with you it, keep watching and it was it. done. And I was done. I thought, what, what did I just see? And there's something about it that, that is... I don't know. I don't know. You can how... tell it's just a magic. It's a magic touch. And then Some I thought, well, what do people think touch? about this on Rotten Tomatoes? So I went on Rotten Tomatoes, and everybody's just raving. This ninety-five percent audience <laughs> score and critic like score. The, the dialogue Everyone loves is it. Not even good. Yeah, he <laughs> love songs to a he chicken. Did that? Yeah. <laughs> the really badly edited mouth and everything it doesn't matter because it's, it's like um, I think it, there's something. It's got to do with like artifice and uh, purity of intention. I think certain artists are so pure with their intention and have no, um, there's nothing put upon them to be perceived in a way except in which they want to express their idea. Right. Which I think sometimes are thinking of it one step removed. They might be thinking of it from what the audience wants to see. Right. Whereas other people are like right up there. Just, it's almost I an just enlightened. Wanna... It's almost an enlightened perspective yeah, of your own work. I think so. Yeah. And he he. That's good. We need to make a list of these filmmakers and put them in their camps. Well, because Coppola's over there too. I would say with the enlightened ones. I think we have we got sort of a feel of what this is, but I'm not even sure exactly what to call it. And yet, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. And I, I have whatever it is that we're talking about. I think there is something there, and and we should probably have a list. And uh, and and we'll make a list, <laughs> and then we'll look at it, and we'll see it, what's, and then we'll, we'll have it. <laughs> what's interesting too is <laughs> because uh, you can't ruin something. We'll write it down. We'll look at it. We'll see it, and then it. we'll have it. And then we'll have a list. Yeah, that that reminds me of a book I always wanted to read and never got around to uh, called Blood Meridian by um, Cormac McCarthy. 
<laughs> it's just we'll to leave a little silence there. All right. Anyway, a it's moment about of the silence. taming of the old the, the taming of the old west, and there's this mm-hmm. giant, fat, disturbing character that's kind of a stand-in for the devil called Judge Holden, I think. And there's like this uh, anyway, the protagonist character. But anyway, throughout the whole thing, there there's all these terrible, violent acts and fights with Native Americans and stuff. Um, but this Judge Holden, this devil guy, he's like this giant, pasty, hairless guy who's like 400 pounds, but somehow still spry. Uh, but throughout the entire time, he's cataloging things and writing things down, and he's um, he's seeing things that people haven't written about before, and he's categorizing them and cataloging them. And then I think at the end of the book, the first fences start getting put up. Um, so I, I think the whole idea was that like that there's something of the devil in um, constraining, like the wild beauty of nature, even the savagery of nature, or whatever was in the the tribes. There's um, the devil is the one that's boxing things in and taking notes and there something removes is, yeah, yeah, yeah demarcation does so anyway that's that was a yeah, long way in other to words say. things are diminished by when you remove their gradient the the nature of the things things so being a spectrum make, things having gradients. make our list um <laughs> yeah well we could do each one as a gradient in each category each side and it's true yeah and what's interesting is that some filmmakers can be on um they can be on the the great side and then be on the other side and at different times. Well, like, like Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. See, we said the same thing, and we both know what we're talking about. Because he's the, Schindler's he's the... List is on one yeah. side, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bridge the, of Spies. Uh, what's the, the one? With the, what's the VR one? Oh yeah, that one. What's that one called? Freddy Player One. Yeah, Freddy Player One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that well, was good, but it was just—it was a movie, you know. It was—it was just mm-hmm. a movie. Anyway, I think it's cool that he can do that. I think it's great. I like it. Uh, Tarantino is like almost so intentionally artificial that he goes like all the way around back to being uh, on the the genius side again. Like he's he does everything to concentrate on making it a certain way that he's seen before, but he does it with such intensity that it just you got to throw him over there with the naturals. Yeah, I maybe, maybe. I don't know how I feel about that. That might be right. Yeah, yeah. That's it's it's hard to put into words. There's something to it, though. There's there something really to is. it. No, you're you're absolutely right. There's something right. to whatever we're talking about, but it's very <laughs> hard to say exactly what it is. And I so know anyway, what you mean about about Tarantino having a certain manic, frenzied insistence on the status quo, and it's. To the point where it becomes heightened in a way. Yeah, Yeah. I I, I get the idea. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. he's like a pastiche artist, but he he remakes it to the point where it is completely new, and he does it better than it was ever done. Here's an analogy. All right. I have decided to become a bologna connoisseur, and I'm going to make bologna, and I make bologna, just regular bologna, so well, but I insist on making bologna. That people call it heightened baloney. That's baloney. That <laughs> Does that make sense? Is that an analogy? That it is, but I don't think it's the right one. Oh, all right. You have to try again on that one. But right. it's a nice, good try. But, so, thought. getting back to Shyamalan. Um, Does he have an evolution of style from the early? The early. Well, I think from I've seen Sixth his Sense first movie this... is called Wide Wide Awake, which was a movie with Rosie O'Donnell and some. Mm-hmm. Not as good of a child actor as um, Secondhand Lions Boy. What's his name? Little Forrest Gump. Uh, um, 
Yep, I know who you're talking about. Philip Haley Joel Osmond. Osmond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Haley Joel Osmond. It's not funny. I knew but it was yeah. three names. So I knew it was, it was three a, names. It was a movie basically about religious faith, I think. I don't know if it was Catholic, but I think uh, Shyamalan, I think he's, what's that faith? Uh, a Hindu, perhaps? Okay. Uh, so that's how he related to it. But the movie, I don't, I don't think it was that great. But it was about faith in similar ways that Signs was about um, spirits in the afterlife. But I think the fact that it didn't have any scariness in it, and it was just like a drama with characters you don't really care about that much, it didn't, wasn't that effective. I think it was about some sort of family loss or something. Maybe I was just crass and didn't care about it. I had no feelings or any something like that. Didn't affect me. Um, but yeah. Sixth Sense is like one of the first people considered a debut because it was his first big film. Right. But I think it was, as far as uh, the first movie that you're known for, it was a massive uh, hit, and it still is a very good film. Like it's a, it's effective. It's a good movie. I think. It's an enjoyable movie to watch. I watched it on TV, not long ago. His uh, and his style is pretty restrained. There, it's all in service of the story. There's nothing right. that distracts you too much. You can kind of start seeing his um film school director style coming in right at the beginning of Unbreakable with the uncut shot in the the train, the very first shot of the movie where it's David Dunn sitting down and I think it just actually pans back and forth like to different sections of the row and it never cuts. You see him take off his wedding ring because he wants to talk to the lady that sits next to him. Mm-hmm. And I think the entire first five minutes or something is one shot, which it, and it works, it's effective, but it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually fine with it. I like it. But you can kind of see like what it is. Like this is a this is a wonder. This is a long shot. It, do you think his his style has matured then over the last twenty years or whatever that however long it's been since twenty five years since since Six Sense to now? I I don't have the sense think, that he has. <clears throat> I think if anything, uh, I think if anything, he's gone the it's other getting direction. Getting a little clunkier. Yes, a little clunkier and a I little think, more, a little less subtle in his in his mm-hmm. style. I would agree. I, I think I liked Glass. Like I like, but I there's certain things that are just like they seem intentionally off-putting or something just to have a an effect. Like gotcha with this shot or something. I I was fine with it. I I like it. I enjoy his style even when it is something like that. I hated it in Last Airbender. That was just like over the top, um, doing things in a a way to just kind of ruin things. That's a good way to make a whole but, group of people hate you. To make a, movie about <laughs> yeah. a great show. Have you seen the show? I've just, I think I've seen like one episode, and I've seen clips and stuff. It's but amazing. I, I can, it's a can, great show. You can tell, yeah. yeah, that he just took all the energy out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Just sad. I was sad. offended by the previews. I didn't even watch it. I'm a fan it's, of the show. I like mm. Avatar: The Last Airbender. It's very good. And After Earth might be even worse, though. I think just did the, you, well, the, Smith, the Smith Family Vanity Project. I can't remember i might have watched it and like unwatched it forgot about it mm-hmm. repressed it it was, it was like yeah it was a like segue. Uh, scientology propaganda basically i think it was scientology propaganda is is Shemelan a scientologist no i think the smiths are like secret scientologists they don't talk about it but or uh, will smith maybe really i think his career started going down since he became a scientologist mm. i thought it was supposed to it's help possible. your career i thought scientology is supposed to make you more famous that's why john travolta is the number one guy and nobody. Well, he's not that famous anymore. No, I know. I was just joking. Mm. I don't think Scientology helps anyone. Okay. Just Tom Cruise, but he's he's an outlier. 
Well, and also, yeah, he's coasting on his earlier success. He's he's made some good movies though. I like he, I like that I movie he where tries. he he, he uh, had to restart his he used to die many times. I forget what Will it was die, called. Repeat. I think they changed that, the name. Yeah, whatever yeah. that one was called. That is a very interesting movie. Very entertaining. Fun. I, fun. I haven't seen it, but it looks really it looks cool. It's cool. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. It's fun. Very cool. It's a heck of a movie. It's fun. It's cool. And I like it. Stay on topic. So M. Night Shyamalan, his uh, style has had its ups and downs. I think he's had a few very high points as far as style. And usually when his style is at its peak uh, or at its most restrained is usually when his stories are better. Sixth Sense, Village, Unbreakable. Those are probably, I think, as films would stand up as his best three. Um, he goes into Hitchcock mode sort of with his filmmaking and, and signs. It's kind of over the top, like this is like a Hitchcock-style movie. Overly stylized. Yeah. A little bit. St- but it's still effective. It's still fun. It's a fun, like, summertime movie. Signs, movie. Is, a f- signs is, is memorable, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, I think that's one thing to his credit is the a lot of the films that he makes, including a film like Lady in the Water, which is extremely weird, is still memorable. Yeah. It's very That's memorable. True. Whereas there are a lot of movies I've seen, and I have no idea that uh, what happens in them. And when I watch them again, I still don't remember what's going to happen, even though I've seen it before. Whereas his movies, I seem to remember the beats. I remember the characters. I remember things about them. Something sticks. I think whatever well, he, it is that he does. He really, I mean, except for those like director for hire ones, which are obviously his worst. Usually, the ones he writes himself. He seems to really care about the story, and you can tell. Even if they there's weird things about them, they are memorable because he cares, I think. Well, some people just... shouldn't do director for hire things. Maybe some people... Yeah. It's sort of like some people... Some people just can't do certain things, even though those things are very similar. Like, maybe someone like... Mal- I don't want to say Malcolm Gladwell, because I actually don't like his books. Let's say Christopher Hitchin. Christopher Hitchens is a very good nonfiction writer, but by his own admission, he would have said he couldn't write fiction, can't write fiction because he doesn't mm-hmm. have a sense of a sense of the rhythm and scope of uh, of something like a novel. You just can't do it. Even you could say, well, they're, they're, you're just writing. Why can't you create a character? But they're very fundamentally different things. And so, if maybe he, if he doesn't feel something deeply and it doesn't come from the well where ideas come from then his visualization process is totally broken, where he takes something that's not original like Avatar The Last Airbender. It comes from from somewhere else, tangential to where his right. normal projects come from, and he no, tries he, he, to take his visualization and tack it on, but it just doesn't work. It he has, has to his lane. From... I think he has, and he's reali- starting to realize that. Basically, M. Night Shyamalan is that he can direct a better episode of The Twilight Zone than anybody. And that's basically his career, sort of, right? I mean, yeah. they're like uh, it could even even a superhero movie comes across more like an extended Twilight Zone episode with some drama in it. I'm, uh, that sounds bad. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean the elements of the story are like a Twilight Zone episode. There's a twist. There's a concept, and there's uh, unexpected things that occur. But it's like it's usually high concept. There's something about it that's like. What if this was like this instead of like this? Wouldn't it be weird if it was <laughs> right. like this? <laughs> and not as you assumed it was. It's different <laughs> than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. I agree. Uh, maybe we can get into some of the some of Let's the, get into the movie. 
the nuances of the of the, the ones we're supposed to be talking. I think about, we can but... talk about them sort of as a collective thing because they are kind of one chunk. Even though he may or may not have had the vision for the entire thing from the beginning, right. but we can. I think we can talk about them collectively. Well, I've been talking too much. I'd like to hear what you think about it, having not seen it until pretty recently. Right? You have seen Unbreakable a long time ago. You watched Unbreakable a long time ago. Right. I didn't. Re- seen Split I, I didn't rewatch Unbreakable. To be clear, I. I remember it is again one of those things about his style. I remember almost everything about Unbreakable, uh, whereas I forget a lot of other movies. But I then watched recently both Split and Glass, and I like Glass more than Split. Uh, partly because I actually think James McAvoy's performance is uh, a little distracting and a little mm-hmm. forced and not as organic as someone doing great characters could have been it's not that bad but i don't i don't i don't see where the accolades are coming from everyone said you know all of these characters are amazing from what i saw i i mean it's all right it passes it it works in the movie but a little forced and it felt like Mm -hmm. sort of uh, i could almost see the uh, isn't it crazy how many characters I'm playing? Sort of thing there in his face. I don't know. That was just maybe I'm. Impl- I could be imprinting that on, on. I didn't notice that in particular. I could see because everything is relative as far as how you perceive somebody's performance. I was I was fine with it. I thought he did a good job. I didn't uh, yeah. have any. I would I say he did a good cracks. job. Yeah. Yeah. I would say he did a good. And job. I certainly didn't perceive anything like that. Or at least nothing that I noticed. But, well, then it's uh, probably me. I'm probably projecting. Some sort of uh, self-conscious. Uh, uh, is that what you would do if you played twenty-three characters? Yeah. Yeah. You would have one of them to say, "If you guys notice what a good job I'm doing." <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, yeah. Character number uh, or persona number six is names. Uh, uh, fourth wall breaker. Man. Yeah, fourth wall breaker. The Deborah. Um, hey, did you ever <laughs> notice how good I am as an actor? That's <laughs> yeah. That uh, would be distracting. That would take me out of it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some people might like it. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe no one would like it. Uh, well, okay, I, so... actually, yeah. Well, I wanted I wanted to talk about some of the things that can be pulled out of it that I thought were interesting, especially with, well, a couple of different elements. I mentioned that the train crash as a sort of um, cosmological story as a beginning point uh but also i wanted to did you did you read the that quote i sent you no oh okay sorry well, <laughs> that's all right i can read it now I, I i i got it at work and i was really busy and then i had to drive and then i, I went to chipotle is this a frida Kahlo quote what frida Kahlo? no i thought i saw the word frida Kahlo. no no, it's not a Frida. No, the Frida Kahlo's in here. You said it. No, no, I, I know, but it's not a. It's not okay. a. By, it's not by Frida Kahlo. <laughs> this is a long quote. I'm sorry I didn't read it. I That's didn't have right. time. That's all right. That's all right. This is a very long quote. Who's this by? Um, Eric Neumann. Yeah, his name is uh, Frida von Neumann. Von Neumann. Is uh, it Neumann or Neumann? Well, it's just a way to talk about the way that fragmentation creates something new in society. So 
there seems to be the motif of brokenness, right? Mm-hmm. The third movie is called Glass. He's very fragile. Mr. Glass is very fragile. And then you have this person, Kevin, who is broken in the sense that his father died and his mother then became this this sort of uh, monster. And then you have... Uh, I, I don't know if that can be if that can be mapped on to to done, but then you have a sort of a collective. You have these people who are kind of emerging from society out of some sort of creative place. If there's a generating process, if there's a creatively generating process that pushes these people up so that they can be if they are uh, an evolved human so that they can exist or what is this sort of creative creative force in this case it's the train it's the train crash the train crash yeah i mean and and dunn's he's the other because he's unbroken from that same event he's like uh the alternative um possibility of rising up or maybe they're lowering themselves and he's rising up or i don't know well so yeah one way i think one way to look at it or one way that i thought to look at it when i was when that sort of all kind of came together in the third in the third movie is that there is this single thing that creates brokenness in one person right but the brokenness then is a creative force that allows him to attain some sort of higher form which is which is the horde and the beast which are the the ultimate personality of his his self not that that's a good thing but that that is his that is the thing that allows him that that creative thing that event that happened is what allows him to become the beast and that wouldn't have happened that sort of transcendent thing couldn't have happened if that terrible event hadn't happened but mm-hmm. that everything centers around around that event so it's sort of like but then at the same time this sort of uh this event that creates these things, this creative thing, has an opposing force. So if that is the creative force that brings about a mutation in humanity, then there's this ancient civilization, not, not civilization, this ancient society, the Clover Society, which is the the opposing force that's always looking to tamp down what is trying to transcend, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the so there's a there's a sort of balance between the the maternal and the paternal you have the society which is this sort of paternalistic in a jordan peterson sense force oh, okay. tamping down tamping this down trying to prevent new things from happening and then this chaos which generates the new thing and then you can look at that on two different scales you could look at it on the sort of society-wide scale and you can also look at it on the individual scale because then you have Kevin who is broken who is in a sense lacking the paternal because his father is dead and so this terrible thing which happens creates a mother that causes him to go off the rails to oh, yeah, fragment yeah. into all of these pieces. That's and there so it's is microcosmic no microcosmic and macrocosmic. Right, it's sort of a fractal, in, it's sort of f- fractal in its in its nature. And so, but, but because he has no, he has no paternal force opposing this creative process, 
or this process of fragmentation or this process of generation, then he's allowed to transcend individually. Mm-hmm. That is negative and positive. You could look at it in two different ways because it's it's a mental disease, obviously, but but also if he had had a normal would, childhood, that wouldn't have happened. He would have been you know, a normal person. So you have these two opposing sides sort of generating and controlling mm-hmm. at the same time. Does that make sense? It does. I think that makes complete sense. Uh, I like that too. Because then you can see like it plays out um, in the way that it should play out with those opposing forces and the maps of meaning, right? The, the paternal father does end up like crushing that, but somehow still the spirit of it lives on by everybody finding out what happened. So there is like an evolutionary change anyway. So like when David Dunn and all the, when everybody gets killed at the end, it's basically, I we're always using the uh, Christian example, but Christ being killed, that killed Christ. But then people ended up being Christians afterwards, same as when they all get killed at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, then their story gets propagated by Mr. Glass's plan. Anyway, so the, the change occurs. Like, uh, So things did actually evolve, uh, but they didn't evolve by the beast becoming all-powerful. The beast became all-powerful only to be smashed so that the message could get out or something. You know what I mean? It's like... Like a, a big change comes and it gets hit, but then there was like after effects. And then another change would come from those after effects and that'll get smashed and then there'll be a further reverberation. Yeah, it's almost like, what? It, what is it like? It's like somehow a, a process of breaking as a process of either creation or a process or of strengthening in a way, right? Mm. If And somehow that culminates, the the third movie culminates in this story being spread which is somehow necessary and important for this period of time for whatever reason it hasn't been in the last 10,000 years somehow just now for the first time they've failed the the clover uh society has failed yeah for the first i time, honestly i i wasn't a huge fan of that i'm fine with it i guess but uh it's not my favorite part of the series that there is this organization no i yeah well, that uh, might yeah, be the weakest part, but well, I I think it's interesting in the sense that as an idea, it's interesting. But as right. far as execution in the film, I'm not so sure about that. It could have been a lot better. Yeah. There is something um, childish about the way that everyone just goes, "Ooh, a new one!" Everyone now knows it's a new thing. Everyone knows, you know, that's not very realistic. But I understand that also. There's yeah, a running, the, there's the a running time. Heroic, you have to do the heroic that. acts would need to be a little bit more substantial for people to all be going like Bleh. yeah it would have to be something else yeah. i think they would you'd have to you'd have to see it happen in real life not see it in video i don't think we're convinced by things that happen in video anymore that's disappointing yeah uh i maybe people in philadelphia are stupid you ever think of that hmm. yeah all right i can buy <laughs> that yeah. i don't mean that <laughs> I know nothing um, about yeah. people of Philadelphia, but I You can, you can cut agree. this up and go to, like, just uh, Reddit, uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> Let's see if Gabe says something something that uh, makes him look spiteful and uh, <laughs> resentful and uh, just cut it out as a one-minute clip and post it in that particular so subreddit. I go up to my mailbox and I find, like, a single marble out there. and It says, soon. <laughs> the Marble Machine X people are after me. Yeah, are they really? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just joking, but that uh, would be fun. That would be funny. Fun. Yeah. Well, you almost got in the 
red letter I know media. if I was to ever get killed by a Marvel Machine X person, I'd see it coming a mile away. I'd be like, clicking, clicking, clicking. It'd be like one of those uh, Rube Goldberg devices, and I'd see it from like a mile away, <laughs> clattering its way towards me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, probably. Marvel Machine sucks. I wrote... I'm, just, I'm sorry. No, it well, I was suck. just, I took, as I was I thinking about anyway, this, I, did, I wrote a thing. Uh, do you mind if I just read it quickly? Just It's kind of what I just said, but I think the, it's a little text? bit more. Yeah. No, it's something I just wrote, very short sort of paragraph, just because I, I was trying to put it into words, and I tried Please, to explain yes. it just now, but maybe I can just say it because I, I tried to say it clearly. Okay. Uh, uh, the supers could be constantly occurring society-wide uh, disassociative complex multiple personality disorder sort of regressions which the clover society acting as the paternal ego force placating if possible destroying if necessary in other words what happened to kevin is what happens society-wide the train crash is to supers as kevin's mother is to him but kevin lacked the paternal balancing force train crash is creative mother the chaos that spawns evolution the 10,000 year old probably ossified called order is paternal order just in this way the unchecked imbalanced mother spawns adaptive personalities in Kevin which go unchecked for lack of a paternal force yeah no I, I think it all makes sense and about um, whether or not the the clover society why are they unsuccessful this time I mean that makes sense I mean that happens in nature um, yeah. That there is eventually a tipping point, you know. Yeah. Eventually, a rock breaks and falls down a hill. They that never just met Mister Glass. He's too smart. He's too smart. Well, he just happens to be the guy that's doing a being a real evil and whatnot, doing a good job. He's the most evil. No, he, he's just. Uh, it's not just Mister Glass. It's that train crash. It's just. It's just. This happens to be the scenario where it uh, escapes containment. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I otherwise you wouldn't make a movie about it, so it has to be the one that's different, right? And I think it could have been ex- executed better, but it's a very well, interesting it was as already an idea. Yeah. crazy that they all get killed in the end. I mean, most people would just have them do something. They just end up being, here you go, Mr. Unbreakable. Here's the key to the city of uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Right. Glass is in jail uh, forever. Well, I think, I think people probably expected... Their the confrontation to be between uh, just him and the Beast, ultimately, or something like that. Or, or maybe yeah, the Beast just, teamed up with Mr. Glass, and they become... And what, he beats he's, him. He's, yeah. The city finds which out about it's it. So much, it's so much more interesting than that, really. It, it worked out... You, you couldn't really do it in a more interesting way. Right. Yeah, so I agree. As, as, yeah. yeah. Again, execution, I think, could have been better. Okay. But... Yeah, I wish that they would have give. I think that M. Night Shyamalan was afraid of his idea of the Clover Society. He was afraid of coming up, or he was embarrassed about coming up with this idea, and so he didn't lean into it. But I think if he had really well, I... leaned into it and gone into the real background of it and really made it a real feeling thing i wonder i don't know if if he really had the uh whole um mother and paternal thing i don't for him i think it was more just a societal thing right the elites versus the the poor sort of a thing um maybe not i don't know in what well in what way 
It just seemed like some of the dialogue that they, when they had their secret meeting and whatnot, and just talking about you wouldn't believe what these people or what you what you're really capable of, uh, stuff like that. Like it's like uh, there's changes that you could make in the society, and you're you're just living downtrodden. And there's this secret society that's actually controlling everything, and they're stopping you. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I I was reading too much into it. Just. But I, I thought that there was more of a it was like about society with elites versus regular people, but maybe not. And that regular people don't acknowledge in themselves the qualities, their that ability make them to be special. But, yeah. But that's pretty silly. That's pretty dumb, really, because um, regular people don't have special qualities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they're just because they're, just, they're regular, right? Peasants. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we can say that. I I can say that. We are we're peasants. So we can say I, it. That's I, like yeah. um yeah, yeah. We're we can say it's we're peasants, and we're dumb, <laughs> and we're dumb. Yeah, that's right. That's a fact. No but yeah, no. It, yeah, I guess um that would be too stupid to say, right? Regular people don't realize what they're capable of. That's it's a little a, cheesy. Like, it's like an oxymoron or something. Well, I think. They're regular, they're not a... capable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that there is a message there. It's a little cheesy. That's sort of the hit-you-over-the-head sort of message of look within yourself and see what power you really have. But if there is a nor- it's, Just, it's, yeah. you know, if there's a slightly more nuanced take on that, then the slightly, the slightly more nuanced take on that might be the way that... Um, the characteristics that we have innately that would allow us to be non-ordinary, the way that that gets filtered out is what we have to be aware of in order to somehow transcend our ordinariness. In other words, right. the world is here to make us feel like we, there's nothing unique or special about us, but we probably had those characteristics budding when we were very young, maybe in childhood, but everything yeah, that's about true. the world is tamping those things down. And by the time you reach the age of 18, right. you don't even remember what used to be interesting about you, and and you're gone, basically. You're, you know, like, you're in the same way that more like standard uh, superhero comics would make somebody more apt to like see someone in distress and be like, well, it, you know, deep down in their heart somewhere, they want to be Superman and actually run over and save somebody. And that does have an effect on people's psyche, too think that they can be a superhero because people do perform superheroic acts. Yeah, I do that all That's the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know you save many people in New York, um, in New York City. Right. <laughs> what do they call you? What's your superhero name? Uh, Luca Duke. <laughs> That's good. Cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, so in the same way you could apply the the Unbreakable trilogy uh it, just making people look at their own psychological issues and um, how that makes them either stronger or weaker um, it could have an effect. Maybe at least make people more introspective or something. I don't know. Think about things a little bit. Well, I think that, yeah, there's certainly value there. Just to not questioning the status quo, but just the way that just an awareness of the status quo and that the status quo is a thing by itself that has a has repressive characteristics. The status quo is an object that's laying on top of you that holds down the the 
the mutant hairs that pop out of your eyebrows that <laughs> that could be nurtured and grow into a majestic tree. You need tree. a little status quo right, right. now. <laughs> you, if you, but 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 we assume that they're they shouldn't be there, and so we we allow ourselves to snip them. But actually, uh, <laughs> like like a student, never snip. Like a student I once had in a school in China, sometimes letting it grow this long is the right thing to do. <laughs> he had he had three hairs coming out of a mole that were oh yeah uh, the I three hairs black three hairs three three black hairs coming out of a mole about three inches long. And See, the thing about my face right now is that I do have that, but you can't tell because I have a beard around the rest of it. What is that? Isn't that that's, interesting? Um, wow. So that's uh, that's sort of a, sh- uh, a sheep in in uh, a, 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 a wolf, wolf in sheep's three clothing. Three wolves. Yeah. 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 This is a sheep's clothing, and uh, there are wolves <laughs> in here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, well, that's really gross. It's all about context, you know. If the that's three true. hairs are surrounded by ten thousand other hairs, then it's fine. It's even grosser than before. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's no, 10, I think. Right. I know. I, I know. A good what beard. the moral of the story is. Thanks. You've got a nice beard. I appreciate that. I really, I'm gonna get rid of it. But I have one more shot I need to do, and I've been too lazy to do it for my movie. Why um, get rid of it? It's cool. I wish I could grow a beard like that. Uh, you could. You just have to try. That's not true. So you you don't believe that you can. No, you. I can't. That, the, the guy with the three hairs, he has the proper belief. I bet right now he's got a beard like uh, Confucius. Gabe, let's talk science. Look at here on you. There's hairs there. You have hairs coming out of that part. I do not. It's not because I shave there. It's because no, but I didn't no have them hairs there. grow no, no, there. No, I didn't have them there. Before I tried growing a beard, I didn't have them there either. I'm no, serious. No. No, I'm serious. Before I first tried to grow a beard and I let it go completely, I didn't have hairs there. And eventually they gained confidence. Now I even get hairs like up here. They they get confidence. You have to let them go. So that's, But now your hairs know that they're never gonna get a they're never gonna have a chance, so they just stay home. That's not true, Gabe. That's nonsense. Seriously. The, some people have better beard growing capabilities than others. Keanu Reeves no. tries to grow a beard and he doesn't I think have his a good beard's one. gotten better over the years because he keeps trying. Hmm. You're saying there's some sort of uh beard hairs have their own impetus and that they, they they behave you have socially. to will them to in existence. Yeah, you have to will. Do they them need to each happen. other, or they do they need you? What's they the do thing need each other? They because they stack up. They. <laughs> is it more a of beard... a pure thing? Is it more of a pure thing, or is it a, more of a let's listen to Papa sort of thing? I think it's a. Um, is it me who needs to have? Is it like singing to your plants at home, or is it like the plants seeing each other growing, thinking, "Hmm, yeah, I will grow big and tall." <laughs> I think it's a mix. A mix. A little, a little okay. of both. I've tried singing to my <laughs> my beard hairs, but it, it doesn't work. Uh, I do I do oil it a little bit once in a while just to keep it from oh, getting I, too dry. Looks good with a goatee. I couldn't pull off a goatee. It doesn't just, work for me. There's just nothing else I can do. Well, let's maybe everybody it's is my only like option. What should be there? It's my only option. <laughs> I have no other options. Maybe Shaving we're is all not limited an option. By what our best, yeah. Yeah. We're, 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 For me, it's better not to show most of my face. Yeah, this is my destiny. Keep some of it <laughs> hidden. And I think, <laughs> I think your destiny is to have a beard, and I, I don't think you should shave it off. Yeah, um, I think you should well, leave it. We'll see. Yeah. I probably should. Uh, well, that um. So, what is there anything else to summarize as far as split goes? I, I, I like. So, you, you, what were the other uh, 
Jungian Jungian well, I was, uh, I was, concepts. I was just going to bring that up. So uh, in Jung's, I think it was his first work, he worked with his cousin, or he was his younger cousin, who had multiple personality disorder uh, and something that is constantly called somnambulism, which is uh, sort of uh, going into a trance and becoming other people. And so he's very interested in this because he has a, a tendency to be interested in more sort of occult things. And he didn't believe that it was really her tapping into some sort of plane of the dead or anything like that or that she was actually a medium. He wanted to just try to understand it. I think you'd really like reading Jung. I think there's something that... about Jung's perspective. That was his early work, but especially his later work, which I think is very close to how you see the world. Somehow, when I read it, I think hmm, I think Gabe would really like this. It seems gonna, like I'm how try, Gabe yeah, Man, Man in thinks. Search of a Soul is the next one I'm going yeah, to listen to. I think you'd like it. I really think you'd like it. Um, i got to get into it. I'm in a book club now, and we're, t we're talking about... Uh, we're talking about that book, and it's very, oh, yeah. very interesting. Mm. Awesome, uh, chapter by chapter. So I go to go to the city, and then we meet. Really, that's yeah. cool. Oh, it's where's it at? The best thing ever. Uh, we meet at the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. The highlight of your life. It it is. It's my best. <laughs> the, the the highlight of my entire life. It really is. Uh, just because I suddenly realized that. Not everyone around me in a situation is just wants to talk about or complain about their job or what their their friends said to them. I mean, I I have to listen to that stuff all the time from people. And when someone when I'm with a group of people and all they want to do is talk about chapter seven of Modern Man in Search of a Soul, and that's it. Like it's <laughs> heaven. <laughs> it's heaven. There's nothing better than that. Um, that's cool. Where do you meet? There's a, it's a public Secret. place. It's a public place. Um, it's 42nd Street and 6th Avenue. It's a big, it's sort of an atrium place. Mm. Yeah. It's, in, it's very interesting. Like. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, the, the discussion that we had the last time is just very open. And even though we don't really know each other, or at least they, most of them know each other, but I don't really know any of them. It just feels very honest and open and everyone's just saying exactly they what just they really want to say. get the most they can out of the work yeah yeah it's cool anyway i think um well this week they're talking about nietzsche which i have very little interest in because i think nietzsche's kind of a he's super he's kind of a scrooge uh he's got some good super ideas duper. but yeah he's also kind of a man child anyway um cried over a horse <laughs> what a loser I prefer his mustache Just kidding. to the man himself. It sounds like he was very sad. Yeah. I could probably relate to him. Well, so so Jung had this cousin that he was studying, and this cousin had these personalities that would constantly manifest, and the, it's very similar to this movie. These characters... Split character, these, yeah. yeah. Kevin's personalities manifest to cover certain things. It's not obvious exactly what they're covering, but you could say that the personalities that manifest are in some ways archetypes where there is an old man who is very paternalistic because maybe mm -hmm. her father her father was abusive to her earlier in her youth and she was also going she was going from the sort of 
going from adolescence to adulthood, which is usually when these sort of things begin to pop out and the person personalities begin to manifest. But each... Like Hedwig? I'm sorry. Right, exactly. He, he, like, anytime something that comes up that would mean something to him emotionally, he reduces to a childlike state in order to deal with it, right? And then there is the... There is the mother, who's one of the horde. I forget what her name is. Uh, what's her name? The female pers- persona. Very balanced. Very same with the yeah the other guy who's in charge of the way with the keys and everything. He's yeah. taking care of all the details, doing the kidnapping and stuff. He's just like he's he's very businesslike and getting yeah. things done. But... And and she's the opposite of his mother. She is extremely in control of her emotions, and she makes sandwiches. And she cuts mm. the sandwiches perfectly, and she doesn't get upset or angry or yell because, you know, something is wrong. She doesn't have an, any sort of OCDs. So Interesting. That, that is a compensation of a sort, right? And every manifestation, every new persona that comes out or pops out in the sort of disassociative um, uh, complex is covering for one one part of these sort Ina- of inadequacy, gurgling, gurgling undercurrents that are popping out in this process of transitioning from adolescence to adulthood and over time each persona in Jung's cousin would get boring in other words it would be very interesting it would be you know speaking in high German at some point boring out, to, her, to her no be just become sort of to just him. start babbling incoherently after a couple oh. of months would just sort of fade away and then a new one would pop up and so there's this process of there's a new one it exists because it is covering something that is that is cropped up in the subconscious and then it begins to fade into meaninglessness and then another one pops up to cover something else so in kevin the same thing is kind of happening except he's able to move between them and there's this idea of the light that they they each grab but his earlier personas that was a phase for him where these are coming up to maybe cover the trauma that he's trying to escape from which is exactly what happened with with Jung's cousin and then finally you have the over personality that develops which is part of this this horde which is sort of the final and perfected personality whatever you Mm -hmm. can say about that is a dark personality but it is the final it's the final one it's the last one that was it dark in Jung's cousin as well no no it wasn't it was it was just a progression of personalities that developed and they existed simultaneously for a period of time, and then slowly they faded away as she matured hmm. and began to have Is that usually the case um, with this condition? Or do the, some people just persist with their... I think some people do, do persist, and it becomes a coping mechanism for well into adulthood, and it doesn't go away. But Jung had, at different, different traumatic times, Jung also had the disorder in a way. Really? Yeah. To a, to a smaller degree, but he developed ways to deal with it, where he would uh, he found that if he recognized the the personalities in himself, personality he had what what he called personality one and personality two, personality two represented his shadow, and then later he had a personality was the anima, which it, which was a female that lived inside of him that asked him questions that he integrated he decided that he was he would go through this process of integrating these acknowledging them and this mostly happened through artistic reflection so he would build little castles out of rocks and just play around in the sand and paint pictures 
and draw little little sketches and just try to understand himself and not try to make any judgments about his characteristics. This is something you can find in his his uh, uh, biography or his autobiography, bi- semi-autobiography. What are those collected works? Oh, it was like the Red Book or something? Or yeah, the, the Red Book is black, for his transition. Yeah, the Red Book. Red Book. Okay. That's his transition period into enlightened young, if that's a thing. If it's sort of the... The um, one of those just, things were still messy, though. It wasn't like he didn't arrive at any conclusions, right. or he was it is a still very important it out. sort of. I haven't read read books, so I can't say, but it's sort of a transition moment for him to completely. He went from that that to then develop his full theory of the collective unconscious archetypes, main personality types, and you know all of his later theories that became well known. It was sort of like this process of self reflection. Partly, apparently, due to his uh, break with Freud, which was traumatic. Break up. Break up, because yeah, there was something. There was something sexual in their relationship, not overtly, but yeah, apparently. Two pillars of uh, of thought. So psychiatric thought. So for him. So for Kevin, as Kevin realizes that one personality is not able to cover the gaping hole whatever that gaping hole is a new personality creates itself in order to get ahead of it but the the gaping hole is constantly spreading and widening and so mm. he has to get a bigger one the next one the next one the next one to cover the ever widening gaping hole and for jung it was more of uh, oh uh this is a new thing that's coming out well let's try to understand it and then go through this process of uh, self-reflection and sort of creative playing around that helps him various techniques that help that helps him understand himself better and integrate those into himself uh, which um, I think is, is interesting because if you think about it every person has multiple personality disorder but for us it's in a linear way we don't develop it at one time we don't develop it in a short span so, so that they like overlap. Having but... different personalities for just getting along in life, how you have to talk towards different or act towards different people? Well, no, I think that – no, I, I don't know about that. But I think that we definitely do change over our lives at least. And yeah. so if you were to crunch a person down to a single person in time, each of the persons that that person is would be – uh, different, and they would have multiple personalities floating around, but ours are stretched out in a linear way throughout our lifetimes, right? So we do the same kind of thing. It's still the same mechanism of coping with or adjusting to changing circumstances in life. We adjust who we are as a sort of natural process of the circumstances we encounter in life, but it's just happening much more slowly and not in a way that causes damage necessarily. Right. And- even throughout the course of our whole life, it wouldn't be so extreme as to be like unrecognizable, yeah, completely different. Yeah, usually. I mean, right. some people yes, but but it, this movie seems to be. Know. It's sort of saying it's. I mean, apparently saying that that brokenness that that Kevin has is somehow a superhuman, in a sense that it's better than ordinariness. Is that? Would you agree with that? Is that mm. what it's trying to say, or did I misread that? Well, that's uh, Kevin's appear like that's the beast's opinion, but I don't know. It's also her opinion, I think, right? The psychi- uh, the psychiatrist. 
I guess. I don't know. When they're talking about better, are they just talking about like physiologically better? Because obviously they're not mentally better. Um, and David Dunn's doesn't really relate to psychology at all. He's just like exists that way. It's interesting that we're talking so much about uh, Kevin and nothing about Mr. Glass, really, or uh, David Dunn. Like, what do you think of their characters as they exist? Well, in I the wanted story? to get into them too, but Kevin's okay, yeah. the one with specifically with multiple personality disorder. Right. So there's that whole thread, you know, that's very, I wouldn't say very Jungian, but certainly something something connected to Yeah. It. Well, I mean, is, is it, uh, I didn't actually look up anything, but I think they have shown there are effects, like when people believe something about how they are, their body does react to their belief. Like placebo effect. People heal themselves by taking a placebo drug but are actually improved just because they think that it's working in yeah. certain circumstances. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's the only way they were saying it was better, right? That he's actually changing. He, I mean, he was literally stronger, literally stopping bullets, but that doesn't mean that he's like... Maybe, maybe he's a Superman in the the uh, Nietzsche sense, but not... Um, I don't know. What does better mean in the context of the story? I don't I'm know. not sure. I don't know. I mean, it's... Yeah. I don't know if it's... Or really... like, I guess the better is what, what are the the poor people of Philadelphia supposed to strive for when they see that video. I'm going to go well, out that's, there. And that's I'm what I'm saying. They, they see I'm him do close these great, a, yeah, right. <laughs> better. They are in, supposed to be inspired by this Maybe the this garbage guy monster. who was, hasn't been able to close a garbage thing with a thing, he's now got the inspiration he needs. I um, think it's... Sorry, it's there's, also, there's something about the virtues of brokenness there, though, that's being on display, right, okay. held up as, as actually a Relating virtue. to the shadow, like the shadow... I'm not saying that I think that that's true. I'm just saying that that seems to be what the film is holding up. Well, what would you say as far as, I mean, what does um, Jung say about the shadow, integrating the shadow? Jung, Jung would say about the shadow that uh, once you once you suspect, once you acknowledge that there are things going wrong in your in yourself, then you have to, you have the obligation to, dive within yourself to visit and find out what the shadow is. And I guess is. that's different than being actually, like, uh, harmed or something or yeah. hurt. I don't know. Um, I, just, I guess it's yeah. just, like, that That just goes to, like, those things that people say, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, those dumb statements, which yeah. are not necessarily true because you're probably just in worse shape and you're going to have trouble coping with life. I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I donated one of my Does kidneys. Anybody... Am I stronger right. now? <laughs> Not from a yeah, urine processing yeah, standpoint. Now but... <laughs> being rocks. <laughs> Maybe you are. Maybe that other kidney is twice as good now. Yeah, I don't know if that. I'm not sure if that's how it works. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel. I mean, like they say that with, like, say, athletic achievement, uh, no pain, no gain. You know, you don't. Um, achieve anything as like a runner unless you're suffering or a weightlifter or I, I'm a little conflicted about that. Cause I'm not, I'm not sure that's necessarily true. I guess you get a certain sense of achievement when you do something that's difficult and you succeed could be the same for going through bad things in life, but I don't, I don't know that it makes you a stronger person more like, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say anything definitive cause I wouldn't want to, offend anybody who's gone through something terrible and uh, considers themselves better for it because I'm sure there's a plethora of life experiences out there. But 
I would hate to say anything definitive about it. What do you think? I think it makes people, I mean, for certain things, stand-up comedy probably. Uh, it seems like oh, okay. people yeah. who have a lot of well, anger and darkness. That, that, that's why just Jerry Seinfeld is, is funny, but he does. there's something lacking in... Nobody uh, makes any good art unless they understand at least what's going on in yeah. life. You can't just make art about just, like, butterflies and flowers and stuff. Yeah, I suppose not. Well, so you brought up you brought up David 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 Dunn. Is he someone that deserves focus? I mean, he seems very. I didn't. I don't really get any nuance about him or any anything no, worth pulling I was out. Remarking than, that that's yeah. kind of interesting that uh, he's the least interesting character in the trilogy. Right. He's he's interesting in the first movie, but more as a he's almost like an audience placeholder character, sort of. He just kind of following what's going on with him uh, i guess i'm not bruce willis does a good job as an actor i think especially in the first one i think he's compelling but i don't there's something about i guess you're just watching the events it's not like he has an issue with his wife and his son but so it's basic human drama stuff and you don't really think anything else about him specifically um and he besides has hoping yeah. that he well the, the continues only, to believe in himself just the only because, thing that could potentially be interesting is his one weakness which is water which is something that you could probably train yourself i mean come on how long has it been since his son has grown <laughs> you could uh, probably guess... do some training sessions to train yourself out of the fear of water so you could say he probably wants to fear. have a fatal he just, he's actually affected by it it's like supernatural i think okay you couldn't it's magical you can't yeah. sort of uh uh incrementally slowly wean yourself onto water and you're you probably you, I, I mean if I was him I'd probably be wearing a wetsuit under my instead of a I would do water immunotherapy so immunotherapy is where you slowly dose yourself over a long period of time to get used to I guess an it, allergy. it couldn't really be a supernatural because I mean his body is what percentage water he, right I mean I'm assuming he yeah. drinks water right See, mm. I don't know yeah, I, I I imagine him taking a shower and just screaming. No, <laughs> it's just, yeah, he does take. Oh yeah, I guess they show him taking showers. He just doesn't like it. He doesn't like taking showers. <laughs> he doesn't like water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's wet gets everywhere. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's gloopy, wet, gets it's, everywhere. It's... Yeah, I can't think of what to say that it would match exactly. <laughs> well, I think He's, no, you you did that without a without a beat. That was that was perfect. That was fine. I think to do a movie poster with uh, Anakin Skywalker staring into the distance, and the other half like a mirror, a David Dunn, like a water version. Right. And instead of uh, Padme, it would be um, Samuel L. Jackson sitting in a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, I I just can't idea. think of anything to say that. about about David Dunn. Almost, I've got nothing. It's pretty blank as a character. I mean, you still I you root for him just because I think that the first movie is strong. I'm not sure. Like I said, I had trouble thinking about what I like about him as a character, except that you want him to succeed. He's kind of an audience placeholder. He's just an everyman who's gone through something uh, extraordinary, and you naturally want things to go well. You want it to be true, and then once it is true, you want him to succeed. Right, and you want him to get along with his kid. Uh, pretty indifferent on whether he gets along with his wife, because uh, that that I don't know that was okay, but not for the same reasons though that you would you would want anybody 
put in that place to get along with anybody just because you're right. It's yeah, not... he's a he's an everyman placeholder character. Right, he's a placeholder. Sort. So he's very much a placeholder. Uh, Kevin is probably not, and Mr. Glass is definitely uh, uh, unique. He's more unique, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what, what's a good example of what type of character he embodies? Is he, is he the trickster, like the from the Native American myths, sort of? Like, which is I don't know. What do you think? Kind of. Maybe uh, he's he's something like that. I I don't know. He's more of uh, like in a god situation or a yeah. devil. It's yeah. Well, I was gonna uh, say kind of both in one. Well, I was gonna or you say, say oh, the beast is the devil and he's god. Yeah, which is kind of funny because he's supposed to be the villain of the story but he is like god in the sense that uh if you look at god in the old testament he does much worse than cause a train crash god a lot of train crashes in the old testament lots of train crashes he he shoots people out of slingshots into walls he has people level cities. He sends floods and tornadoes and uh, spam emails. Frogs. Frogs. Um, he sp- he spams all of a- of Egypt. He, sp- he spams them until they give up and let let Moses leave, and then he won't let anybody forget about it. Uh, uh, he's he's not cool about it. He's not he's not cool about what he did for the Jews getting out of Jewish Egypt. people. Jewish people certainly haven't forgotten about it. That's no. their favorite book in the old Testament. The thing that really struck me about it when I read it last year is how often God brings it up. And by the end, sort of like, <laughs> what does he bring God, up constantly saying, I, the God who brought you out of <laughs> Egypt, <laughs> constantly, geez, God, I mean, we know, but that was my great, great grandfather for crying out loud. I mean, it's not nothing. It's nothing. Well, that it just shows how often on. they forget that he needs to keep reminding them exactly which type of god. You haven't seen? Have you seen Noah yet? We we have to stay on topic. But no, no. But I will. I desperately want to watch it. If I were really desperate, I would have already watched it. But yeah. Well, I can tell you're pretty desperate. So okay, that's interesting. So yeah, God. Um, people have a problem with God. They think like whatever evils God allows to occur mean that God is evil, which it could look that way from a perspective or it's just necessary evil in that there to have existence you have to have a a construct with different contexts you have to have light and dark hot and cold things occur right uh mr glass sets up the the construct or the context of this trilogy so in that way he basically is god he's villain to he appears to be a villain in the first movie but really he doesn't operate that way he's more of just the well, I mean, he does. That's under. I would like to listen to some of his dialogue, maybe in the in Glass, and see how that would play. Because I didn't think of it at the time, but I think I mean, there, he does. Yeah, cut somebody's throat. Right. Yeah. Who wouldn't? There, are t- there are two things going on. I think there. One is the God thing. He's the God of Job. He's the he's Job's God. He's Old Testament God, maybe, and Job God Job, who will do this stuff in order to either make a point or create something, right? When Job basically proves that he's the most pious human who ever lived, and then God says, yeah, but you're not God, idiot, right? We talked mm-hmm. about that in the last yeah. the last conversation. Yeah. He's that kind of 
he's that kind of god. He's the god who who destroys the um the, the Hittites, right? He's that god. And so he's he is the villain of the Hittites. They would say, "Jeez, come on. I mean, what are you doing? You're killing all of us." But in a broader context, obviously there are still people who pray to this god and people follow this god and people read this book and still say this is my god and the god that I believe in. And so there is a broader context and so if the purpose for Mr. Glass is a creation process to bring out a higher form of humanity and sort of um, somehow push against the, if we're saying paternal forces of the status quo and create something new against that, whatever that is, uh, the status quo or whatever, then he's able to just not consider the bodies that are ending in the train yeah. crash he's not that that's not part of his factor that's not an equation that he's considering or they're they're not an important factor in the equation oh right the, yeah the, the, on the balance, only important thing is to yeah. find right. well on balance it's okay if that happens as long as i get you know if i can create an opposite it's it kind of reminds me of the uh well, in, in it, hindu sorry go ahead no no go i would like to hear about that well it's in the, hindu, what? there's in hindu mythology there is um, the story of the creator god who it's not a destructive story but he is alone in the universe and then mm -hmm. he decides to create something and he creates I think he starts with a cow he becomes a cow himself and he creates a cow and then he uh, the cow runs away and then uh he creates another animal and mates with that. He mates with each thing that he creates. And then so his creation becomes every living creature. I don't remember exactly. That's a little bit closer, works, I but. think, in like uh, because he does seem to start from a place of like emptiness or loneliness or thinking he's the only person like himself. And he's searching for David Dunn, which is different than the traditional Christian or Jewish uh, with God sending his own son or sending a savior himself. Because right. that's not the role he plays. He's seeking out life and his. It, through destruction, he's trying to find something, or he creates through destruction. I guess that's similar, but I don't know. It's it's influenced by something like that. I guess it's not, it doesn't have to be a direct, it's more interesting, I guess, that it's not direct. Otherwise, it would just be simple, oh, that's that. It's just, he does seem to be more of a godlike figure, or uh, I guess he could be a trickster, because that wasn't the, in the Native American myths, wasn't the trickster character basically God? Didn't he sort of function as the same? Uh, so it wasn't so much a devil trickster. It was the trickster who ended up creating through different means. Like there was the ridiculous one of him basically farting too much and pooping out the universe, mm -hmm. um, which is ri ridiculous. But There are a lot of stories pretty, like that. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of stories of a malevolent character, or at least a character that's not good, not heroic, creating the universe. Mm -hmm. Or at least something creating the universe out of something bad, like uh, like Tiamat, right? Tiamat's body was an yeah. evil character, Was is the pieces of Tiamat created the universe, right? Right. So I guess what was... It wasn't quite as clear... Like, if there hadn't been a split and it just went to Unbreakable 2 and it was um, Mr. Glass versus... David Dunn, what would have happened? Like, what would Mr. Glass's plan be to... I would be curious to know. 
Well, if that's a sort of uh, if there is a if he's trying to create an opposite for himself, he's probably not creating the opposite just so that he can have an opposite. It's it's sort of like um, the Joker wants to be the opposite of Batman because that is the thing that distracts him from the uh, the pointlessness of living. Right? It allows him to just keep keep on going. Uh, it's the only thing that enter- that entertains him and keeps him alive. But I think for Mr. Mm. Glass, he step one, create opposite. And once you have the merging of opposites of me against Dunn, which is a pretty boring hero to be against, but, but whatever, uh, <laughs> then we create something new. That's why he has the other plan. If there was no beast, they would, he would still have probably this other plan. Still blow up this uh, tower. Osaka somewhere. Tower, right, to, create a, to make a point. So he's trying to do something else He's trying to create something else, but, but it, to do that, it, like, he, he would has to only first take pleasure in like uh, David Dunn doing something superhuman and saving the day, and everybody seeing that. Then he just wants people to know that, or is that just that's his secondary, well, that's maybe, his alternative plan when things don't go right? That he at least has to have people know that this was true. Did he really just want to blow up Osaka Tower? I don't think so. I think he's trying to make a wider, yeah. wider point. I don't right. think no, his I guess not. Yeah, ultimate it's, purpose that was always, is not, always a distraction. Yeah, right. I think his ultimate pur- his ultimate purpose is some uh, uh, facilitating the the transcendence of superhero superhero or superhumans superhumans. Right. He's he's just like Thanos. I know you don't like that, but just like Thanos, no, he, no, he I, has I, yeah, I failed the first him. time. And now he knows that he cannot make any any concessions this time. So he's even willing to kill his own daughter this time and do whatever it takes to achieve his goal because he didn't do it the first time. He failed uh, when he proposed this, the, the solution of killing half of everyone on his planet and his planet basically right. went into so chaos. So he's, he's really, like, in the literal version of the story, he's just a, he's a guy that so psychotically believes in the power of comic books that he... He's making them literally true. That's how much he loves comic books. I don't think it's about how much he loves comic books. I think he actually believes that that is where humanity needs to go. And in order to get humanity to that place, then he has to. Then comic books are the roadmap for him to. Okay. Have this world that he thinks is a better world come about, which is a world where there are heroes and villains. Because maybe the world where there are actually heroes and villains is a world where people can look to this sort of clear concrete figure for inspiration people have these these um actual heroes rather than only fictional heroes to i don't know follow in their own lives or uh, model or or whatever i think it's just he thinks it's a better world and so and so he's so single minded that that the number of bodies that pass through the grinder is sort of irrelevant yeah i like it makes sense but the other side of correct. him is is the purpose thing. His greatest fear, I think, and I think he mentions it in the first film, is a uh, fear of not having a purpose. Mm-hmm. I think one of the main themes is his purpose in all of it because uh, all of the personalities developing in Kevin are him building toward this purpose, which is becoming this if overman or, or beast or ultimate self. Uh, that's the final perfect thing. He's striving for perfection. His purpose is to become this perfect self, but it's a long process, even though that self is kind of a 
a malevolent character. Mr. Glasses doesn't have a purpose, doesn't know why he exists, and and, and realizes Seeks. that this fictional thing which exists in all of our minds is a great purpose to have if he can make it come out into reality. Maybe, uh, well, why does David Dunn go on his walks? I don't know, really, but he must. It, it, I think it's about some sort of purpose. He's It gives him purpose to feel like he's contributing to a reduction in bad things happening. I mean, it sounds a little yeah. lame, but I don't know. I don't know what his purpose is, but I think it, it, for each of them it comes down to striving towards some sort of perfect state. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. I think you described it well. I think that's basically what it is. What is it for David Dunn, though? I mean, that's... I I have... I just... His character. I don't know. I'm not... I wish they would have made the hero of the story more compelling. It's kind of interesting that he's not, though. He's like the opposite of any superhero. He's just a regular guy who just likes to help people and save people. walk around. Yeah. What are you That's doing? the only thing I'll he's go good at. for yeah. a walk. <laughs> okay. Save some people. No, he likes saving people. He likes uh, taking care of people. He's got a security system company. He used to be a football security guy. He just likes protecting people. All right. Leave him it alone. Him, it makes him happy. Yeah. It makes him feel uh, good. No, I don't know if he probably, I don't think he, he doesn't seem to be happy about it either. <laughs> it's just like his purpose. Yeah. Okay. So maybe for him. It's boring because he's already attained his perfection. He's living in a state of I mean, if you see someone who's who's attained enlightenment and they're sitting on a sofa, uh you know, they don't want anything in life, so they're probably they're probably one of the most externally boring people you'll meet, right? They might be. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe he's attained enlightenment, and he's just—that's uh, what enlightenment is for him. He just—he's carrying out his function, and uh, that's his—it's his. Uh, well, dharma. he probably—I I guess he—the only when he uh, in the first movie when he saves some kids, I think like people end up getting murdered in that house, but he saves the two kids. Uh, he points to the newspaper article, and his son sees it to see that he was actually that guy. And the only, uh, he has like a face of like gratification, like this is true, I really am a superhero. But it's more about a like father and son moment than it is about him like achieving a certain personal status. I don't think he feels, no, I don't think he's seeking fame or anything like that. Yeah. He doesn't want anything like that. You know, actually. Because he's trying to avoid being seen. Well, what you said, he's living living in purpose is an interesting idea. It reminds me of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which I recently finished, which I... Highly recommend. It's another. I almost a lot of... I almost bought it for you and sent it to you. Oh yeah. I realized how I, long is it? <laughs> it's not that long. It's huh. uh, it's it's so good. Bhagavad Gita is so good. It is um, that so in the Bhagavad Gita, the premise of the story. It sounds really weird, but there are two sides about to go to war. One faction. Who's one of their chief officers or chief uh, uh, generals is his name is uh, Arjuna is facing off against the other side who is all sort of family but corrupt in a way the other side is trying to take the crown 
for the kingdom, and actually it's his birthright. So he's fighting for what is supposed to be his. Actually, he's the righteous mm-hmm. one. He's the one who's doing the right thing, and, and they're fighting against him. So it's sort of family against family, very civil war sort of sense. And the whole story is um, Arjuna travels out into the middle of the battlefield between the two armies to see his enemy, and he sees his cousins on the enemy side, his uncles, and uh, his one of his uncles is named... Dhritarashtra, and then his charioteer, who's Krishna, who is a an avatar of uh, uh, Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu, have this conversation, and all of the Bhagavad Gita is this conversation that they're having about whether or not Krishna, rather Arjuna, should fight against his own family he feels he has a moment of doubt he doubts himself and and he says i can't how can i kill my own my own family you know and and uh krishna says you have to you have to and he says how can i and so then it's this long dialogue about uh understanding yourself living your purpose first you have to find your purpose then once you find your purpose you have to live your purpose it's basically a treatise on how to meditate how to live a yogic lifestyle uh mm-hmm. not yoga in the physical sense but sort of the philosophy of yoga and he just walks through they walk through the philosophy of yoga and meditation actually teaches them how to meditate so they're in the middle of this battlefield before the battle starts just talking about meditation and one of the main sort of takeaways from that and the reason i mention that is that he says uh krishna says if you know what your dharma is but you decide to live separate from your dharma your life will become chaos but if you know what your dharma Mm. is and you live inside of your dharma then everything will flow naturally with you and it will be effortless and so that's david lynch is all about that stuff right you sound just like david Lynch. it's kind of well it's it's all about meditation all coming full circle this is how you get on that side of filmmakers right so i mean it's all about first of all what is your dharma and then how do you live within it and once you live within it then it's sort of like floating along with the river, not fighting against the current, not yeah. saying, I'm not this kind of person. And so, and then, he, you know, the question he asks is, how, but I, these are my family, how can I kill them? And the, then the, there's this epic moment at the end of the Bhagavad Gita where, uh, where Krishna says, they're all already dead. I am, I am time. I am death. Because he is a manifestation of God, the creator God. They're all already dead. Killing them now is only, uh, you know, basically prematurely cutting short what's going to happen anyway. And then they have this long conversation, and it it comes to a point where uh, Arjuna asks Krishna to show him his true godly form, and Krishna does, and he he gives him a third eye, and this third eye lights up on his head, and he's able to see Krishna's infinite form, and it it blows his mind he he can't because it's too horrible to see it's not just light and you know flowers there's that too but at the end of it it's these horrible jaws destroying destroying people as they get old and die and it's too horrible for him to behold so then he he begs him to take on his his human form again <laughs> and then after he takes on his human form again krishna says you're the only one who's ever seen that and then Arjuna says, hey, if I've ever said anything that made you angry before, because we've been friends for a long time, I'm sorry. 
and, uh, <laughs> and then they, they part ways, and then he kills all of his family members in the war. So going well, to war and like killing all of them is the genuine thing for him to do. He, so the solution is not to not fight your family. This is your dharma. Go, kill them all. And that's what he so does. So you're saying if you're a scumbag, like a politician or something, it might just be your game, your bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be who you are. Be who if you you're are. you're a slime bag, well, yeah, that's an interesting concept. I don't know. I mean, that seems like that would have a limited amount of application, right? I mean, well, if yeah. you're a, if you're a, if you're a murderer or a rapist, you probably shouldn't go with your dharma, right? Well, I don't know if that's that's quite the If you've got the, voices the in your head. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I'm just saying. Mhm. Just as a Cuz there's I mean, I don't think anyone would say that there's no situation when war is not appropriate, right? So even now in our There's modern... no situation when war is not appropriate. Oh, sorry, sorry. Maybe I like that. <laughs> there are situations in which Sir, war we're is out, we're out of we're out of cheese in some way. Wait a minute. You don't have my dry cleaning? <laughs> you lost it? <laughs> maybe that's your dharma. Yeah. You're the guy my that dharma there's no is situation that war does not... <laughs> <laughs> they came out all wrong. <sighs> that's funny. I like that. No, but that's that's an interesting story. So you could relate that back to David Dunn in that he's a person just living his purpose. That's that was the achievement at the end of Unbreakable. Not that he's going to be Iron Man, a celebrity right. type. Not that there's anything wrong with being an Iron Man, but um, yeah. he just thanks for has that the caveat, ability to help the people. Tony Stark. Yeah, caveat. I'm, I'm putting in all kinds of caveats now. No one's going to be a yeah. murderer. Marvel's okay. <laughs> it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna put post this in the uh, in the uh, I'm trying to think of a subreddit. People where this in Philadelphia still be a... aren't stupid. Marvel Machine X is okay. I'll figure out something. Right. I'll figure out some way to. I don't think I've said anything that wasn't offensive so far, but. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that was kind of a long a long kind of roundabout way of saying it but i think well, that's, that's the... interesting uh, we're kind of covering unbreakable from a bunch of different angles which is interesting um just as a movie series as a whole you would say it's a little bit less interesting to you than some of the underlying ideas uh what, what would be the total value to you, you well think? as a as a as a trilogy of movies i guess well because that's what they are um, yeah uh, it's I don't I don't think for example split I don't think is something I'd watch twice unless I wanted to get more out of it. Some I think some movies are have the right kind of things in them that where there's there's stuff to pull out there are interesting ideas to pull out. So I'm leaving I'm I'm right here. That's the value to me at least when I'm you know. You mentioned we should talk about the, these three movies and that is something I immediately thought yeah. would be a good idea. Because well, even regardless of how I feel about the movies overall, they're totally separate things to me. I don't hate hate yeah. them. I like Unbreakable, and I I kind of like. I think Glass. I, they're just they're just they're unique. They're they're very different. I think they have I guess they have even more interesting ideas in there than I thought. Um, I just like they're kind of an anomaly in in movies. They're, they're their own special little thing over in the corner, yeah. which is nice. Which. I even like it aesthetically uh, for the most part. I know what you mean about Split. It's not like a feel-good movie or anything, but I just like how different they are. It's uh, it's its its own little universe you can tuck yourself into for three movies and 
It does. I think it sticks with you. It obviously it does stick with you because you can remember Unbreakable, what, ten years, twenty years? How how many years later now? Fifteen years later, many years. having I've not only, seen it. Yeah. yeah, I think I only watched it once. Yeah. So there's something. I think th- there's a lot of quality there in a certain way. They're not perfect. They're not like uh, masterpieces, I guess. But in a certain way, they're. I think there's a lot of quality there. So they they deserve to be watched and there's stuff to appreciate that's what i would say there's also something to be said for making something that's somehow real whatever that means you know if you make something that seems true or real well whatever that is there's something that resonates and that's easier to remember Mm -hmm. it's something that makes you consider it after you know that's really cool like it's interesting too that when he did the first movie it was before any superhero movies any good superhero movies were out right so it was almost one of the first superhero movies. And now there's been, you know, a hundred since then, all the way up to, I mean, some of the Avengers movies. And then to keep, kind of still keep it on that level. No, right, he still didn't change it. Flying around. Yeah, that's it's, an it's interesting, pretty, that's it's pretty interesting. awesome. It's brave that he didn't say, oh, well, look what uh, DC's doing over there. He right. stayed with the, the original like, This vision. is my little tiny thing, and it's going to make sense in its own yeah. world. That's what's respectable about 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 Shyamalan's films, I think, mm-hmm. is that he he has, even mm-hmm. if there is that sometimes that forced quality, sometimes at least there's a purity of vision, right? And there are certain elements that feel true, in the sense that they're not cheap entertainment, but they resonate mm-hmm. more deeply with what in, in whatever way. Uh, I personally uh, assign that more value than uh, I agree. whatever. Yeah, I I like that more. But it's I, two, I, it's not two that there is things. not value in yeah, it's two different things. But I, as far as what I would put higher on a shelf or something, I would put his movies up higher than Marvel movies to me. Mm. Yeah, I guess it depends. There, on you the, can put that in the the Reddit for the criteria, though, right? I mean, is the criteria I'm gonna invite my three friends taste. over and we're gonna eat pizza rolls? What are we gonna watch? We might watch a Marvel movie because we're gonna. We're gonna drink some beers and we're gonna be playing Yahtzee as well. So Yahtzee. we'll put on a Marvel movie. But if we're if you know you're sitting down by yourself and you're in a reflective mood, you might I, the or shelf have the shelf thing. I don't know about that because I think there are different friends shelves that like to talk about like things with you. You might watch a movie like that, right? Yeah. No. Oh yeah. That's an it's a good excuse to watch that kind of movie. I mean, I think that's that's the whole reason I would I would like to do these kinds of conversations. However, you might feel about them. The no the, I, I, the exercise I, I, of it is very interesting. Obviously, I enjoy these conversations enough to have them, and I do enjoy them. Actually, I was just I worry that I'm not going to bring anything interesting to the table. That's all. I, I haven't thought about them enough to be able to say anything interesting. But uh, I think, think I, I guess I maybe can help provoke an interesting discussion. Um, and I like them enough to say something about them. I just. Something about conversations online uh, where people seem to consider themselves an authority or being trying to like present something like this is this piece of content we've produced about this other piece of content. I don't like that, but I don't think that's what this is. This is just a, you well, know, that's why I don't really discussion. like movie reviews. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think what, that's what no, that I, is. That's all I was saying. This is the kind of conversation I like to have about a movie, which is completely different than saying, okay, now this. Thanks for showing up, everybody. Now let's get to our Unbreakable Trilogy review. What did you like? What did you like? What did you like? And what did you not right. like? What did you not like? I like when uh, he's like, 
on the ceiling and like he's like moving fast and i like when he like hits the light right. bulbs like that was great <laughs> that's all i was saying i just don't want i don't want to have i was yeah. just sometimes like setting something up too much seems to me like it's going to be like that what i should know better it would never turn into that we get off on too many tangents anyway well so. yeah that's the that's the joy of it <laughs> how i will say though that i don't regret having our star trek conversation even though that was mostly review like i think that that was worth having because uh, looking back at talk it, your ideas, it was good yeah. to talk through it, just to sort of get it out. Some things are I, better vocalized. Sometimes, yeah, there's a weird thing where you have an opinion about something, but because it's happening inside your head, it reaches a sort of seventy-five percent point of be- completion, and then think, your head goes, "All right, well, you it okay, enough," and stows I, yeah. it away. But when you have to sometimes say it I to think- somebody. You know. I think uh, sometimes there are maybe patterns of thought, or we uh, we get into where we let ourselves off the hook um, before we get to the answer of the question or something. Right. Like you said, you get to seventy five percent. You don't have to think through the whole idea unless, but when you're faced with having a conversation, you have to say, "Oh, wait a second, what do I really think about that?" and then say it. Otherwise, you just there's just dead air. Right. Um, so you have. There's yeah. a pressure there that I think is good, but the pressure there is the whole point of a conversation yeah well some people think the point of a conversation is to win an argument aren't those the worst forms of conversation i guess we've probably had them to a degree a little bit but i think a lot of um seems like online discourse is usually somebody trying to win an argument which is less of a conversation and more of a it's just about winning the argument it becomes a debate which is boring uh, real conversations are just about like the possibilities uh, what Unless that becomes an organic thing, because we often get hung up on the the debate of me, what is meaning and what is truth and what it what isn't it, and when that happens, it's not like we've decided to set this thing up. It's just where we we get locked in this sort of um, uh, well, I think never we've gotten better at, better at that over time. I think uh, we used to argue about it, and now oh, oh now we're starting to argue again. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but you are predisposed to a warlike position. Uh, with all things, well, I know. I think you are. That's not me. You're the. You're predisposed <laughs> to a warlike position. I, I think. You said war was the answer to every question. Total yeah, warfare. right, right. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> my policy. Uh, <laughs> war. I was, what did I say? Sorry, war is the deadpan. War is the. There is no. There is nothing that <laughs> war isn't the right answer to. <laughs> Uh, there's no problem that war can't there's... solve or something like that. <laughs> uh, they came out all wrong. It came out all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed it's to a be a war idea. as the last resort. But it's a, for yeah. you, you made it the only in first resort. Do you think there's anybody who actually thinks that? that, that if, I think if there's certain animals society that would let me that way. would let me start a war over everything. Would let me... <laughs> Or one of our cat on the porch is like that with other animals. <laughs> it's something very it's fun, fundamentally funny about that outlook toward life. It's kind of like war. That's why Worf is funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's Star right. Trek. Because he always can we fire, sir? My honor. May we start a war? Yeah. There's well, there's the the actual his actions and what he says and what he Alexander what what he wants to once he wants to do his his natural tendency toward the aggressive posture but also just the way that he thinks in general the most important thing is his honor and the most important thing is uh maybe being being or feeling that he is a a warrior deep down his entire yeah, race. And he probably he 
takes that personality and wraps it around the whole ship. He wants the ship to embody his feelings of war as well, probably. Like, right. He, he mellows, so fire, he mellows fire out, phasers. though. Yeah. Well, there, how could you not mellow out over time when you're surrounded by a bunch of nerds and right. uh, ladies walking around in their geeks. yoga tunics all day, yeah. and you're just drinking in a bar with a bunch of robots playing chess? <laughs> Eventually, you're going to mellow out. There's no... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They dressed you up in too many costumes on the holodeck. Eventually, there is a there is an actual sort of I don't know if it's a cathartic scene, but uh, there is a, it might be the seed of what Star Trek Discovery comes from, where there are these uh, um, Klingons who had just come out of stasis in a ship that's a hundred years old or something when the war was still going on, and. Uh, I think that might be where they got the whole idea for Discovery. I'm not sure. But anyway, they have to, rather than destroy the ship, because that would could start a war, that could start an actual war, they have to convince them that the war is over. But if Picard get, comes on the screen and tries to convince them that the war is over, then they won't believe it. So Picard makes Worf captain, and Worf becomes captain of the Enterprise, and turns on the screen and and Vague, vaguely remember that he takes the posture of calling of calling out their warlike nature, calling them barbarians and saying mm-hmm. we're much more enlightened now, you know, and uh, turn turn your ship around. He he he's strong but very Picard like in his way of dealing with them. Interesting. You know? And then that reflects later on him. Like he he can kind of you can see where his character changes after that. Yeah, yeah, I think... To a degree. Well, yeah. Well, and, and, yeah. Having a kid was a uh, part of it, too, right? Having a kid was part of it, and also the there, there's a really key... Well, we're getting off on the Star Trek tangent. I think uh, we're done with Unbreakable. There, well, I do Maybe have not. one more thing I wanted to okay. bring up, but um, the, the episode called Schisms, which a lot of people don't like, is about when Worf is coming home from winning a Batleth tournament he um finds himself he passes through some sort of fracture in space-time and finds himself skipping through realities uh parallel universes basically and um in one he didn't actually win the battle tournament in another he is married to diana troy and oh yeah yeah and eventually <laughs> at the end of the episode all of the enterprises show up and one of them Picard is dead, was killed by the Borg. Borg. Riker is still on the Enterprise. His hair is all frazzled. He has a beard, and he's still fighting the <laughs> Borg by himself on the Enterprise. And they have to blow up Riker's ship because Riker starts firing on the shuttle. <laughs> it's so great. Riker's, he's lost it. Then Riker <laughs> sees Picard on the screen. That's oh, good to see you, sir. <laughs> he's uh, so... Um, that was the actual uh, Jonathan Fra- Frakes. Like that's that's the guy. Yeah, <laughs> that version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the Jonathan Frakes we have is the Borg Riker that gets blown up by. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. He went on to direct movies in that yeah state. But after that is resolved, then Worf sees the possibility of being with Deanna Troy. Hmm. They and they are together by the end. And all good things, they are together as a couple. Then they erased that and made somehow Riker and Deanna Troy then a couple uh, in the movies. 
unfortunately. Yeah, that was bullshit. I forgot yeah. all about that. That's ridiculous, right? So they developed this whole line where where it's Worf and Deanna, and it feels right somehow. Mm-hmm. They developed, they, they earned it, and then they just wiped it out and said, oh, well, you remember how episode one, there's this tension between, let's make it Riker. <sighs> so yeah. stupid. So yeah, stupid. those movies don't exist. Dingus is... Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they exist. So the... Uh, you No, not... Um, they're not... They didn't really happen, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we're agreed on that. So are the new episodes getting bad uh, with Star Trek Picard? Uh, I haven't bad? watched the most recent one. The last one that I told you that I liked is the last one that I saw, so... Oh, four. Yeah, I gotta watch... I'm, I'll probably watch See, the... Rich, yeah. Rich and... Uh, Mike didn't like them. Yeah. Well, well it's I fair. Don't I don't know. I, I'm liking them so far. I mean, at least I like episode four. We'll see. Fear enough. Have I, you been keeping track of the stock market crash? Oh, Related yeah. topic. Yeah. I've been watching it during work, so like off to the side I have the ticker going and just kind of watch it go down. Wee! Is this I don't is this the big one? It seems pretty big so far. I don't know though. This is the coronavirus crash. Yeah, well, we were talking about that before. Like, it's so crazy that there's this coronavirus stuff happening and the market keeps going up. But I guess it's because everybody buys the dip. Like, that's the uh, the idea of we're going to buy the dip, and then when it when it bumps, we're going to make bank. Right. I don't care what happens. It's not Nothing is tethered to, like, uh, any fundamental... That's the hubris ec- of thinking that a single individual or some sort of person who can make commentary understands this fundamentally ununderstandable thing it's the the market is something that fundamentally can't be fully grasped by any single person or predicted right. you cannot because it operates well on a higher level could be yeah unless it, it, it is i mean unless you could look at it and just say well that's obviously bullshit i mean that's going to crash someday. well but there but then that is a thing that then loops Which back into the market. Yeah. Well, that sort of commentary then loops back into the market, and then, in a way, the market itself is a higher intelligence than any single person, which is an interesting thing by itself. I don't it's know. A sort of, in a way. Intelligence seems like a in a way optimistic well, word. Well, because it, yeah. it has corrected itself according to the, the, vir- the spread of the virus. It is an auto-correction that the market is making made up by the individual decisions Unless it of crashes, people. and it just shows that like things are fundamentally unsound. Right, like, and that they're not tied to actual value. Like uh, it's all inflation, and there's well, there's no, there's no doubt about that, right? But it's the, it's this. Well, I mean, there is doubt about it as long as the market continues to exist. I mean, because it doesn't really serve any purpose except to like untether real wealth from real things and put it in this like hyperinflated virtual space of bullshit to allow companies to act in ways that are like arbitrary you could say the same thing for money itself though well i'm just saying the stock market doesn't people will say it's good it drives business and whatever but it doesn't really uh in the way that it should right in the way that it used to it's not like shareholding contributing to a company to make that company succeed it's just like it's just riding waves and inflating currency to the point where eventually it's going to be entirely worthless and just completely explode and then we're all going to die so it's it's like a it's like a death machine it's well, maybe not, not all going to die my, but i'm just saying yeah. 
it's it's bad. It's not healthy, and it's bad for regular people, and it's um, it should crash. It should end. But I don't know how. It, it'd be nice if it didn't. It'd be nice if it ended more in a Bernie Sanders way. You know, uh, where it just like Knock comes it down off. a bit and just yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or Hillary could go in and tell him to cut it, cut it out, or something. Cut something the crap. like that. That's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. You don't you don't think that's true, or that just all doomsday scenarios? They're just gonna be able to prop it up forever. Because I was watching at the end today, and um, it was crashing again, just like it had done the past few times, like going down to like nine hundred or a thousand points right at the end. Um, but then it got there was some sort of it looked like the Fed pumping in money. It, yeah. At the end, it went up like four hundred points randomly hmm. so they're just and they've been doing that for a while uh since like last year so right. i mean what does that mean they're just creating money pumping it in so that it never crashes well there's only and what that, does that do to the dollar right well as not that i really know what i'm what i'm talking about but there's only so much of that that you can do and because they've been doing that for so long that now it's in a in a less stable state than it would have been if they had just started doing that. In other words, like, like it's an artificial market, correction. Right. The artificial corrections are already it pushing allows, it toward it, the margin of instability. It allows the dream of what money is in the stock market to continue to exist, whereas coronavirus is like where the rubber meets the road. It's the reality. Eventually, like companies start taking real losses based on realities on the ground of people not being at their jobs, not contribute, not being in society in the way that they were. You can't not say traveling. that's not that's not already a fact, though. I mean, there are, in fact, there are realities that affect the market. No, no, I, I know it's not they're, totally they're, virtual. They're, it's not disassociated. I, I, from... I know, but I'm just saying the valuations, um, because people kind of ride the market the way they do. I don't know if the valuations are actually accurate. It doesn't mean, like, what a company is worth isn't necessarily what it, its value is. You know well, what no I mean? doubt. I mean, when you have someone, uh. But I'm One saying person lighting a joint worth... and smoking it, causing a major dip in a stock price of a company that has nothing to do right. with lighting a joint, proves that beyond any but doubt. But coronavirus that, yeah. has a tangible value that they will find out in money, and that's why things are crashing, because people are starting to reevaluate prices. They're saying, well, wait a second. If people don't travel on airplanes anymore, then I guess these airplane companies will be worth less money, right? Right. Not just what we rose it to assume it was. That's what that's what's happening in the market. So right. then— if they and take that, that extends to many other areas. Far, yeah. Right. If they take that line of thinking too far, eventually they'll get to the point where, like, well, none of this money is backed up by gold. Who has the money? What is the money? And yeah, I don't think like, it's going to go that far. Hopefully it not. I'm it just takes a it lot could, to right. start to question currency in it, fundamentally. I mean, there's already it, the experiment you can look at in that area is cryptocurrency as cryptocurrency tries to move toward something that is considered universally as a thing that has in, in, inherent value, uh, that that dream has not yet reached a point exactly where it is where it is universally accepted. And so that's you can look at that Petri dish and say, uh, well, we're nowhere near that with something like the, the dollar. The dollar is something that is, even though a figment of all of our imaginations collectively, it is real in, in as much as anything that we value in our lives is real. So how far down, how far do you get toward the uh, illusion of the dollar that is the bedrock? How far down does that go? I think that's up for debate. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, all of these things are virtual, but 
and obviously there is a there is a tangible connection to reality itself. The fact that that people are starting except to for have gold, these, right? Gold well, actually exists, and that's gold, end up that's yeah. always been the standard, right? Uh, but it used to be since the seventies. Well, that's but. another. Well, that's another le- layer down. It's still, but it's a real thing, a though. People actually do hold it in their hand. It is, but it's still a dream because there is the initial there is the initial assignment of value to that specific metal. So that's another that's, layer that's, layer that's down. That's true. It's yeah. true, but at least it is. I guess I mean paper currency can can have that value, but it seems like gold is more eternal than that. You know, yeah, sure. it's been around no so doubt. long. Yeah, it's, I'm just saying it almost has. Like, there, yeah. there's just another layer down. They're, they're both dream collective dreams. That's true. Yeah, we we just want we want the gold, <laughs> right? Gold. We someone had to as, assign value to this thing that had this right. shiny thing that has. And it was a all that we wanted. It, yes. yes, and then and then once you decide well, to make that uh, paper, we need then, to reassign our collective value to something that I have most of, and most other yeah. people don't. That'd be nice for me. Yeah, I have a lot of uh, beard hairs. Beard hairs. Some cans around, plates, <laughs> D- dirty dishes. <laughs> Just a couple. How much is this house? You have three dirty dishes. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's that's how much it is. Whoa! Dirty dishes have skyrocketed today. <laughs> Gabe's yeah, dirty dishes specifically. Not, are they crusty? <laughs> yes. Uh, only one dirty dish then. Wow. That's a universe called random universe where you never know what's going to happen next. The Fed's pumping a lot of money into my dirty dishes. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, in my dirty dishes. Anyway, I think the coronavirus thing is going to continue to play itself out because we're at a, at an early stage, I think, of the spread of the of the virus, and people are only beginning to realize the implications of it. And it's going to. So get, what do you, What's yeah? It's, it's going to get pretty. I don't wacky. know what's going to happen to the market because I'm not smart enough to predict that. But I do know that shit is going to hit the fan more than it has already because i oh, know yeah. what i know what it's rice? like in china you buying beans i've seen china i know what, what china is happening like. in china now because today they put out some little thing to boost the market up that said people in china are getting back to work it's fine in china now is that true well there people will be returning to work in a limited capacity with very strict uh, do they want rules to or about, are they yeah yeah to? they do they do people are uh, going a bit stir crazy and so they want to go back to work whether or not that will actually happen, I guess, remains to be seen. Uh, some people still are going to work, but they, they have you know a lot of processes in place now, and I think it's going to fundamentally change the fabric of how people interact with each other. I mean, it all stand to slow down a little bit for a long time. I think people Maybe are going to take people. serious precautions in their interactions with people, and I think the way that people, for example, eat in China, where you have a even when you're with your family, sort of a, a plate in the middle and people oh, grab things with a chopstick, yeah. that's going to be gone. They're going to change the way they eat fundamentally. It's going to change eating the culture. Like anti-social Americans yeah. now. And as for ourselves. the economic the economic impact is already uh, colossal. I mean, think about the small restaurants, all of the small restaurants that survive on the monthly revenue that they make. If they can't pay their rent, they shut down. Middle schools shutting down, mm-hmm. private all the travel shutting things, down, shutting everybody down. that's affected by travel, hundreds convenience of billions stores. of dollars, just and this is, I mean, and it's barely even nobody knows the end amount of it. I mean, it could really be like the biggest depression in the history of we have no idea our recorded record, right? And statements that are being made about, well, 
it's going to end in 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 April or whatever. Because it's warmer. It's, it's so yeah. stupid. They don't know. That doesn't make any sense because you don't know what's going to happen. You haven't seen this before, so how can you say that? We should be in mild like panic mode. People like to just mode. say optimistic things. So what are you doing? I was gonna. Are you going to um, convert any of your um, dollars into gold? No. Just out of curiosity? Nope. Because if shit ever really hit the fan, I mean, it would be nice to have a little gold around, wouldn't it? Just hey, like a... Well, I'll borrow some from you. Thousand, thousand Robert De Niro's? I don't have any gold. I was considering buying $20 worth of gold tomorrow. <laughs> Here's my way of thinking, and it's maybe dumb and limited, but anytime a crisis happens, the knee-jerk reaction is to panic and do something sudden. And I think uh, the only way to mitigate the negative, the the extent of that fallout is to not panic and do something sudden. Maybe it is a good time to watch Noah. He planned ahead. Yeah, so I'm going to do nothing. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, well, I'm on the on the I'm hope a... that nobody's going to do anything. That everyone I does keep, nothing. Because if everyone keep, does uh, nothing, then it'll be okay. I keep planning on planning, but I haven't done anything yet, so I'm still just planning to right. plan. I'm not much of a doomsdayer myself. Well, I'm just saying if you, you put more credence in the fact that things are going to change, have you thought out the scenarios that would actually occur in your community like when that happens and what you would need to get through the day? Do you have enough cat food to get through a month without going to the store? I think... Uh, hmm. I think... People will be buying things online more, which is what I do anyway. And if They're anything, and if anything, the way that we spend will be more digital. I mean, that's the direction it will go more toward not handing paper things to each other. So that's uh, true. I don't see Crypto. any reason why, if anything, that then then you know, digital payments will become more widely accepted, and so. Um, I don't know gold why is really gold... like a, a gold would be like a true shit hit the fan thing, like where people yeah. are. I don't know if it's going to go that wandering that around way. the lands, like the <laughs> be like after the apocalypse type. Right, that's when you need gold. Right, and even then, who knows if gold's going to be the, the thing that's valuable? I think gold would be around. People still, I mean, it's still heavy and shiny. People, you can't. Everybody likes gold. That's deep. Yeah, gold's not going anywhere. Well, luckily, I you... have a lot of gold. <laughs> Yeah, I I want to at least buy some rice and some beans and some uh, bottled water, and that's about it. That's probably buy I spinach. Might do that. Oh, you need spinach. Yeah, yeah, not canned, fresh spinach. Leave it out. It goes bad. It goes bad. It goes bad in days. <laughs> that's how coronavirus yeah, I'm to, started. I'm trying to spread uh, misinformation, <laughs> cause chaos. The spinach campaign. Yeah, spinach is what you need. To well, if you guys uh, need to escape the, the city bunker. or anything, feel free to come out to Ohio. We have fast internet. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's all I need. Oh, you guys have also an extra bedroom, right? Yeah, so. I'm trying to get Lorena to have her whole family move here, and I think this is a great excuse. Shit has not hit the fan yet, so we'll see. Well, you guys got to come before you're infected, or I just, you know, I'm not inviting you if you're infected. Ah. So. Well, okay. <laughs> you can come. You have to stay out in the barn though. <laughs> You, oh, I don't you want the coronavirus in the house. Gabe, we're already infected. Didn't I not tell you? Did I not tell you that? 
something like The Walking Dead. We are we've been infected for <laughs> quite some time. <laughs> well, I was gonna mention one more thing about the movie. Well, I hope um, somebody stuck around for this last part. Somebody that came only for Unbreakable, but they they sit through all of our other tangents. It must yeah. be just really that's, that'd be difficult. Yeah. No, they came for Tell the uh, coronavirus timestamp, but they <laughs> they're purists, so they don't like to click on the timestamps. They like to just know what they are, but they like to watch all the way up to it. Um. Uh. I did some research about. Why I was trying to think about this is just a thing I found on Wikipedia. Why does the, the beast eat people? Oh, you were getting a cannibalism, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't found, hear about the cannibalism corollary because the be the beast eats girls, right? Yeah, like a virgin, right? Sacrificial yeah. virgin. Yeah. So there's that. There's that. But then I found a specific character. Hold on a second. I found a specific character, uh, Wendigo. I'm just going to read it. Oh, Wendigo. I always say Wendigo. That's the Wendigo. Native American guy, right? Oh, okay. What do you know about him? He's scary. He's like the devil. He lives out in the woods. Uh, the, uh, I was reading the Jesuit priest transcripts that they took back in the 1600s in Canada. And they would, that was like uh, any time they heard anything terrifying out in the forest, it was Wendigo or Wendigo. Yeah. Anyway. That's all I know about well, him, but it well, sounds yeah, I mean, scary. Yeah, I wonder if that's uh, why. Why does he need to, other than the purity of somehow uh, sacred food, right? Uh, Wendigo, a mythological creature or evil spirit from the folklore of the First Nations Algonquin tribes, based in the northern forests of Nova Scotia, the east coast of Canada, and the Great Lakes region of Canada and the United States. The Wendigo is described as a monster with some characteristics of a human or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made him become monstrous. Its influence uh, is said to invoke acts of murder, insatiable greed, cannibalism, and the cultural taboos against such behaviors. So uh, that kind of sort of a spirit coming over someone causing them to have this insatiable hunger for something, even if it's not the uh, un the untainted, the the pure, um, innocent, whatever it is. I mean, that's not really mentioned, but uh, I thought that was an it's interesting. It's kind of tacked on, maybe. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder. Parallel. I mean, that's interesting that tribes would have some kind of um, myth about that, and that it would include specifically those things like cannibalism. Right. Well, it's, it's sort of, of gets... like when he goes through his personalities. It's like there there are spirits passing through him, right? It's like mm -hmm. now I'm possessed by this one, and now I'm possessed by this one, and this is the 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 worst of them. Well, why do like uh, why do even say like uh, serial killers do that? Like certain mass murderers, why do they do that? Is there nothing in the fridge? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They didn't prep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, <laughs> guys. Uh, you can you can. Because like uh, freshly other is a great service. <laughs> they send you the meals. You put them in the fridge. You heat them up in the microwave. It's great. Um. You know, Donner Party uh, Live or whatever. Certain like certain cannibalistic situations are completely different. You know, it's just survival. Right. But uh, yeah. like a serial <clears throat> killer cannibal. Right. Doesn't seem to be much reason for that. What's their drive? Got to be Wendigo, I guess. Right. 
It's the only way. Yeah, it's there is. I mean, why is this uh, fictional character? Why does this myth exist in the first place? It must be based on certain deviant characteristics in people who have this this insane desire to eat people, whatever it is. I mean, I don't know where it comes from, but it seems to be whether it serves an archetypal uh, uh, purpose. Maybe he's he's also subsuming he's subsuming his um, lower tier personalities at the same time, right? When he becomes the beast, is it? It's like almost like a. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Well, yeah, the beast seems to be. They know that the beast is final. They know that the beast is the ultimate uh, persona. Somehow, everyone knows that that is completion, perf- perfection for this series of personalities. There aren't going to be any more. This is the ultimate, the ultimate one, and they all—they've all been working toward this or covering up this ever widening hole that eventually is sealed by this uh over personality this ultimate Mm. personality which is not the integration of the shadow but maybe the shadow that completely takes over the original person so uh i don't know how that ties into cannibalism but uh this is just scarier i mean the whole idea of the collective unconscious there are a lot of things down there in the Mm -hmm. collective unconscious that um exist in a real way they're programmed into our into our dna to fear the reason i mean the reason that we have certain dreams the reason that we have certain behaviors the reason that certain symbols as i was saying in the last discussion resonate with us the reason that when we see a uh a story we feel it has meaning we feel that this is something that is true and whatever that means is because it's in our programming just like the sense of smell that we have it locks onto that thing and there's a there's a pattern recognition and then there's something that's satisfied when when that happens and so there but there are there are negative things down there too and maybe some of those negative things that boil up to the surface are you know cannibalism and uh, all kinds of darkness i mean jung talks about this a lot is this collective unconscious is essentially the ins- the this the landscape of instincts that we have accumulated over the hundreds of thousands of years that we've been that we've been around and when a turtle has the instinct to swim toward the ocean it's programmed to do that it doesn't learn to do that mm-hmm. it's that's hard coded just as we are hard coded with our physical features we're hard coded with certain personality features but in the personality features we have these relics that have outlived their maybe evolutionary purpose, maybe the evolutionary purpose uh, right. 100,000 well, years there's ago. There's two yeah. possibilities, right? They're either relics or they are, there really is a Wendigo and there's like an evil spirit. Those are the yeah. two possibilities, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's what Jung would say. I think he would accept both of those. He would say that there are relics where this was useful for a certain group of people, a certain characteristic, and it became part of that. And it I'm was just saying, manifest- like, yeah. to, to eat, um, like, for cannibals, you could just say, okay, that's just uh, that's a relic of when we were primates and we hunted down other people, or, or uh, you know, other primates and ate them. It was a tribal, it was like a show of force. Because, I mean, because chimpanzees eat each other on occasion. Yeah. And I don't know, it's not necessarily just for sustenance. It's yeah, like when there's a nothing in the show. Fridge. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. 
it's always about the convenience. <laughs> but so that's that would be an example of uh, just being a past part of the genetic code that's wired into us that you know flares up here and there. Or it could be it's a result of completely deviant behavior that it has nothing to do with less to do with the natural world than with uh, deviancy, which would would you wouldn't necessarily categorize that as being the same as an evolutionary trait, would you? Well, hey, I think, it depends on what I the individual gets out of it. I think there's probably a fuzzy line between those things, right? I mean, it, there might, yeah, it may or may not. I don't know if it's all about the perspective or if there really is a difference. You'd have to like look into different examples. That'd be a dark. Thing and you to could examine, say, but. well, and you could say maybe in certain individuals it's one, and in certain maybe groups it's the other. Maybe it's maybe what was an advantage becomes. Uh, an individual's idiosyncrasy manifested in a certain way because nobody, everyone is at the same time an individual and also simply a person carrying the fire forward. Like to a the chimpanzee next that does that is not uh, Hannibal Lecter. Like, right. But Hannibal Lecter has more champ chimpanzee than yeah. There's the. Well, that's the question, whether or not he does, unless when you achieve a certain level of uh, perception, maybe then you open yourself into all a di whole different realm, and then you're dealing, you're, I don't know. It's, it's very complicated, but it's, yeah. I think it's a, it's a pretty intoxicating topic, because just the whole idea of it, and I think it's Jung's main very contribution. Yeah. Oh, uh, myth, the, you mean the, the fuzziness. The fuzziness, and also the, the, the singular idea that uh, dreams are to the individual's subconscious, which is the iceberg under the water that's much bigger. Mm. Dreams are to the individual's subconscious as mythology is to the human species' collective unconscious, meaning this iceberg under the surface where either we have the relics of these things that were adv advantageous to us, these instincts that interact with each other, these inclinations, these what desires, whatever it may be, they don't just go away from generation to generation. They hang around. They stick around. And they're there inside of us. And they come up. And when they come up in the right way, we make a story about them. We tell stories that become myths. And those myths then become signposts to let other people know that the dreams that you have or the, the darkness in yourself is not you and as an isolated person, but there is something that you can look to to know that you are mm -hmm. bound to the other people around you, right? And so there's a connection between that. So when Jung is analyzing someone's dreams and he's asking them, Jung didn't say, I have a clear method for understanding your dreams. Let me tell you what it is. Right. And we go through step one, two, and three. His The first thing he says is, I have no idea how to interpret dreams. This is something that I've found to be useful in helping people, but every time I do it with someone, it's totally different. I have no clue because this this landscape that I've been exploring, like the map, is so vast I have no comprehension of it. So that's his first admission. So let's see if we can draw some things out. Ooh, you had a dream twice in a row where someone was leaning down and listening to your heartbeat, and then there was a horse or something. All right, well, well... Are there any parallels to this? Well, maybe the horse is represented in mythology. I have that book of symbols. The horse is represented in mythology in these ways. There's this myth and this myth, and they have this sort of significance. It represents a certain mm -hmm. uh, 
power or sometimes uh, masculine power, whatever it represents, the, all these symbols. If it makes sense to the person who had the dream or if it makes sense to the person with the complex, then they go, yes, yes. It's, so he says, it's not that I find some solution for you. It's that uh, luckily I've studied a lot of mythology and I can sort of right. bring things up. And when you, you have to be the one to say that is what it is for me because it feels true to you, then you're able to untangle the knot that is the complex. That's, mm. I think, what he would say. And that is... I think have you found uh, reading uh, Jung's work, does he lay out a lot of those uh, things so that you can relate past dreams or experiences you've had and kind of get meaning out of them through Jung's stated interpretations? They're not interpretations, uh, just statements of what tends to be true for the collective unconscious based on his totality of interviews with people. Does yeah. he lay that out or no? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he lays out you know a lot of cases and how people have been helped or not helped okay and he's very balanced about it he's very just sort of lays it out as it is and uh, yeah you should read read some Jung. i think you'd really I'll like check it, it out i think you'd like it a lot all right It'll be the moral of the story of the man who didn't prepare for coronavirus that's going to be a, a trope <laughs> of the future now remember when uh dad didn't prepare for y2k and he was very proud of it yeah, <laughs> well, he was right. I always, I always respected that, and I, I guess I'd like to be like my old man. At the same time, though, <laughs> it wasn't nuts to prepare for Y2K because Y2K actually did happen. Well, then our neighbors who had cans in the basement were correct, but I don't remember being affected by Y2K. That's right, because we don't realize that we thought, oh, oh, nothing happened. Well, oops, I guess they were wrong. They weren't wrong. They were working around the clock for months to fix all the systems, and they did they okay. fixed it all in time. So what about coronavirus? Effort. Coronavirus. Did they fix it? Corona, the crazy thing about coronavirus is if you look at it as uh well, how deadly is this? It's a lot less deadly than the regular flu. If well, it's they, no, they don't, nobody knows that yet. Maybe. Maybe. But it's so infectious that that's the nobody danger. knows that much about it. Again, I've heard things like people that get reinfected, or you can get reinfected after you've had it, and you you can suffer greater for it. So, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen in China with people going back to work and whatnot. But hopefully not. We'll see. China's a good uh, laboratory. <laughs> Except we don't get any results. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, like we don't know what the results are. It's we completely don't know the real numbers. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's like oh, the lab test came back. It's kind of smudgy and blank. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> And it's uh, it's been it? redacted, yeah. redacted from the record. <laughs> and it's it, it, it took the result. It, it's in jail now. <laughs> the results are in jail. The <laughs> the papers, the paper papers right. are in jail. Yeah. <laughs> now that's funny. Thank All you. Right. Part of my comedy, uh, my coronavirus comedy China tour, comedy Your show. comedy shtick. <laughs> yeah. It's very popular. All right, bro. We've been going for two hours yeah. and fifty-six minutes. That's pretty good. It's 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 great. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, we don't always we don't have these conversations all the time, so we got to lay down a lot of material. We, we got to get it stuff. out. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. We, uh, do, is, did we cover pretty much everything? I mean, those are I all, think so. all my bullet points were covered. Yeah, I think all I wanted to say was that I really like it, and I think people <laughs> should respect it. I like it. It's good. I like it. 
And that's basically all. Yeah. Um, and you you brought up a lot of interesting things that I think uh, give people a lot of food for thought. Well, I don't know. Um, I sometimes worry that I'm, they've given me my me food for thought. I I, 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 I yeah I worry that it it comes across as uh, just totally either too esoteric or reaching or uh, pretentious or something. But I really just, when I watched it, yeah, this, I cares? was writing down ideas like, oh, oh, what about this? What about this? I was just thinking about these things. I can't help no, what I think No, it doesn't matter. About. Yeah. The only thing pretentious is using that word and applying it to other things. We're just minding our own business here on the internet yeah. until you cut something offensive I've said and drop it into a certain <laughs> Reddit page. But other than that, we're minding our own business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my goal is to find the subreddits that will be most offensive. And I tend to be like a really I try to be nice and uh not say anything offensive in life, but somehow on the internet I easily You're going to become known as the the ultimate the troll douchebag yeah. troll of the century. Yeah. <laughs> that was never my goal. My brother's the real jerk here. He makes me look bad. <laughs> I'll try not to do it anymore. I don't think you said anything. Okay. In this no, it's okay. You're just trying to generate views. I don't think it's personal. I'm just trying to get clicks. I'm just yeah. desperate just for clicks. Just trying to get those clicks. <laughs> Exactly. All we got was people from Marvel Machine to come take your uh, your like versus dislike ratio and trash it because they disliked. I was such a sad person about Marvel Machine. I don't Machine think X. that I think that that helped helped the channel. I mean, the dislike dislikes are are just as good as likes. I think. Did uh, <laughs> I? I agree. Did uh, Marvel Machine X get finished yet? Are they done yet? Almost. I would have. No, I would have heard about cool. it. It would have been on the front I would have told you around the world. Yeah. yeah. Gabe, guess what happened? <laughs> the Marvel Machine X is done. <laughs> the markets tomorrow will go like this. <laughs> Coronavirus might be here, but did you hear about Marvel Machine X? It can go. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> Stock market. I support Marvel it Machine X. It killed the great. coronavirus. <laughs> the crazy yeah. thing is Mike Pence is going to be leading the charge, so that's sad. He doesn't even believe in science. You think Trump's doing that just to throw him under the bus? Like, it wasn't my fault. It was Pence. Yeah. I'm reading Passage of Power with about Lincoln and uh, Johnson right now. Oh yeah, and or not Lincoln, uh, Kennedy and Johnson right now. And oh, Kennedy. Constantly... I thought you meant Andrew Johnson. I was no, no, like, no. okay, yeah. Kennedy and Johnson. Kennedy constantly was constantly was throwing Johnson under the bus. He didn't like him at all. Is that why Johnson had him shot? No, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> if you're gonna have a guy shot, you shouldn't be sitting right next to him. Probably it's a Johnson's only dream in his entire life. The only thing he ever wanted was to be president. It's the only thing he cared about really? in his entire life. Yeah, he, he said he said at some at some points, I will do anything to become president. Ended up like hurting. He wasn't that. I mean, he didn't do a great job. He was. He did. He did a decent job until the Vietnam War. Yeah, well, that was a, a big lot issue. Of, he passed a lot of good social programs. You know, I was reading about the. I was. Yeah, he. he but I mean, it kind of affected him. He he didn't live that long after his president's hair went completely white. He was just like trashed instantly from presidency. He had to resign. It wasn't it? Didn't end up being worth it for him. He didn't resign. He just didn't run. Well, again. he did. Yeah, didn't seek re-election. Yeah, because well, he knew he would lose. I don't think it was because he right. was old. I think he knew he would lose. His his greatest fear in life was humiliation. Well, I guess he didn't suffer that too badly. He did when he was vice president. They they were trash him all the time. They called him Corn Pone. That's what the Kennedys <laughs> called him. They're at their Harvard Harvard Club 
dinner parties saying, oh, corn pone over there. <laughs> this is mocking him to his face. <laughs> Those would be great videos they to see. Ca- his wife, have... they called her, they called her, they, he called, they, when Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy were talking about Johnson behind his back, they called him, and Johnson and Lady Bird, they called him corn pone and pork chop. Oh, <laughs> poor not, Lady not, Bird. That's not nice. I heard that uh, he had an alarm in his office to warn him when Lady Bird was coming so he could stop screwing whatever secretary he would be having sex with in the Oval Office. I haven't got to that part yet, so maybe. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you that know. might not be true. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. Ding a ling She's coming. Uh, or maybe he had a lock on the door. So, like, maybe when she was coming, he wouldn't stop. He would just, like, press a button and lock her out so she couldn't come in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He was not. A, he cheated on his wife a lot. He wasn't a very nice guy in that respect. Yeah. Um, and the Vietnam War, that wasn't very nice either. Mm-hmm. He also but I was, invented <laughs> well, the moon. That was cool. Yeah. Um, when we got off of the gold standard, it was Richard Nixon uh, era in the 70s. Yeah. And the reason we had to get off of the gold standard and inflate all this money because we needed more money was so that we could fight more in Vietnam. Yeah. So at least we had a great reason to go off the fundamentals and you know, yeah. destroy everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. War. Always War. number one. Yeah. War first. War. 